Welcome to Picks and Flicks. This is a podcast for myself, Stephen Pigeon, and my co-host, CJ Welsh, take game and movie pairings and discuss to see if they work against each other in different ways. CJ is a filmmaker and producer, and I work in production and games development. Today, we're joined by a special guest, Louis Roots, an interactive designer and producer. Louis currently tutors at Swinburne University, teaching digital game prototyping and helping with the final year game capstone projects. Louis is also a director <laughs> for Free Play Independent Games Festival, uh, which is also the oldest independent games festival in the world. Next year, it turns 20 held during Melbourne International Games Week. Louis has also previously run his own bar and event space called Bar SK, which was often home to a lot of game makers and, and loved to make and help showcase experimental games. Before we start, I would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we occupy and pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. Sovereignty was never ceded. It always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Today's episode is about the original Resident Evil, first released in 1996, and Zombie, directed by Lucio Fulci and released in 1979. In Resident Evil, the Stars Force, Special Tactics and Rescue Service, are investigating strange cannibalized corpses on the outskirts of Raccoon City. The Alpha Squad, Jill and Chris, are sent to locate missing team members. While there, mutated dogs cause them to flee into a supposedly abandoned mansion. And in Zombie, a group of strangers that are searching for a young woman's missing father arrive on a tropical island where a doctor is desperately seeking the cause and cure of a recent epidemic of the undead. I love that. It sounds so silly. How are these two things related other than zombie? And yet. And yet. And yet. Oh, my God. Thank I mean, you for joining us, Louis, by the way. Really no appreciate having you here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this, this uh, pairing was actually... Um, you you mentioned, mentioned it to yeah. us. You suggested it. And we're like, fuck yeah, let's go. I haven't actually... Uh, watched or played any of the Resident Evils. So this is my first Goodness gracious. foray into it. Oh, I wish I'd known that. No, actually, it's better that I didn't. I've mentioned that mm. on previous Have podcasts. You? Yes. Never, all right. I've, well, I've, I've told that to you. I wish. I wish you'd been able to play the pre-remaster version just to experience the incredible yeah. terror of how shitty those controls and like how it worked was. Oh, <laughs> the remaster's oh. not much better. But <laughs> yeah, don't, don't worry. The remaster was still a pain to play. Yeah, tank controls are pretty good. Yeah. I wasn't expecting the like the camera camera um, being on like fixed perspectives, mm. like watching the character instead of following the character. So that was, and you know, each time the the, the camera like changes, your control scheme will change. Like <laughs> you're walking forward, you're now all of a sudden walking backwards, and you can go back to where you just were. So frustrating. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I get that's part of the terror, right? Like. The, that's the true terror. That's the true terror. Is, 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 is it going to be like you think you know you how to play the game? No, you yeah, don't. You have no idea. You, you'll, be, you'll be five hours into this and then go around a corner and be stuck with a zombie right in front of you. And you're like, I should be able to outrun this. No problem. But then suddenly you're spinning in circles and the camera is in your face and you don't know what the fuck's going on. Yeah. It's really it's disorienting in the worst possible way. <laughs> I suppose, Louis, do you want to mention like why you yeah, suggested well, the pairing and the connection between these? Yeah. Well, yes. So... Uh, There's a lot of pairings that I've been looking at that were more like, you know, like Resident Evil has obviously a whole bunch of films. Um, But this is sort of more about the inspiration, like looking at what's the, what is, what did Resident Evil sort of draw from? Um, And like the fixed camera um, is interesting because that was, I guess, like technically, like from a game's point of view, that was like Alone in the Dark had come out just before it and that had a, Fixed camera, so they were very much influenced in that. Alone um, in the Dark is another like horror game. I don't, yeah. I don't know it. It's a very old um, horror game. Uh, I think it's on. I can't remember the console it's on, um, but it was a lot more 
polygonal okay. than um, Resident Evil. So it's like I think it was a it was a while before um, Resident Evil came out, but um, it had been released just before they started sort of developing. So they sort of technically took the fixed camera from that, but there's a scene in Zombie um, where the four people from the boat kind of, you know, they're, they're meant to go find this doctor's wife um, and she's at the house. Uh, well, although the viewer kind of knows from a previous scene that she's not in a good way. Um, <laughs> yeah. And to put it mildly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we, we know what the people are walking into. Yes. Oh, I, I suppose also very quickly, we, we do this on every, on every episode, but full spoiler warning. Yeah. Uh, so, like, we won't worry about, like, spoiling stuff. So, yeah, Zombie 1979, First Resident Evil, we'll just make sure, like, anything for the plot, anything, like, specific moments, like, what you're about to talk about, we're going to spoil. So if you haven't seen it yet, watch it and then come back. We're likely to end up spoiling most of the Resident Evil games throughout this chat, I think. So yeah. Yeah. if you're unfamiliar with well, those Well, that's going to spoil them for me, so that'll be fun. Oh, no, you're in, you're in for a treat. They work, I think the beauty of it is they work even if you know what happens. Yeah, yeah I can't think of anything I could say that would ruin your experience. Yeah. Um, but I mean, yeah, okay. So, so so they're coming to the house looking for the doctor's wife. Yeah. So scene. Um, they come in and you know, like they walk around the corner, um, and it's incredibly similar, if not like, not so much shot for shot, but it is incredibly similar to the first zombie um, reveal in Resident Evil One. Um, there's you know the zombie is sort of pulling up from uh, from the corpse. And, uh, you know, the people are horrified, uh, as it would be. Um, and they kind of back away. Uh, and there's a, a sort of a camera shot from above, like a real static camera shot of following them. This is, um, a, this is also like a, a similar point to like in Resident Evil when you're playing and the camera changes each time you go around a corner. This is when you go around the corner and the camera kind of stays where it is. And then, mm. the, yeah. and then the character, you've lost control, they, they start like walking back. Yeah. yeah. It happens a couple of times through the game and it's it's... It works well because it doesn't happen every time. Yeah. So when it does, it kind of mm. lands harder where you're like, wait a minute, what's happening? And then it, it pulls you straight in. Yeah. Yeah. But if you took that that shot and that sort of first cutscene, um, you know, the, the inspiration is, is definitely there. Um, I like you say it's not shot for shot. It might be. Like, it, it might be. It's very close. Yeah. That slow turn of the zombie's head. Yeah, where, like the camera is static and the zombie is kind of busy not looking at the camera, is like eating this corpse. And as it turns, you're getting this like side profile view where you can see the mouth yeah. is all rotted and like yeah. this person is clearly a corpse. That, this, that, this that is that not classic, a living human. Like, you don't see how fucked it is until it's slowly exactly. coming in. Yeah. That's like, mm. that is straight out of zombie for sure. Yeah. Um, zombie also uses a lot of like the zombies in zombie um, a lot more sort of uh, voodoo. Mm. Yeah. So they're like... You know, they're sort of real shambling um, and like head down, <coughs> mostly eyes closed. Yep. Um, you know, there's, they're not sort of like an animal. They're more just like they're a, just moving towards you kind of thing. They're a force. It's the original fear of zombies was that the, the, in, the inevitable uh, process of death, right? Mm. The true terror is like it's a euphemism for a few things, but at its core of cause... It's that you can't stop this. It is coming for you. It will always be coming like, for like you. Like it's inevitable. That it's inevitable. Yeah. 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 It's slow and menacing, but that doesn't matter because it's going to keep coming. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, no one really likes to think about it, but there you go. But death, there you go. Death is inevitable. So. So, and <laughs> see, that's it. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Well done, everyone. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye. <laughs> yeah. But I think so like there's a lot of different um, 
you know, and, and there's, there's some really good other inspirations for the Resident Evil game. But I think, like, I really enjoy, I guess, like, I just think back to when the first, like, Paul W.S. Anderson Resident Evil movie came out. And what, I, what year did that come out? Uh, yeah, that one. One of them. <laughs> I want to I say that was 2005. I'm gonna, I could be wrong. I'm, I'm going to say 2004. I remember Got seeing it in the movies. My dad took me. Should not have taken me. I was definitely too young. Loved it. 2002. 2002. Whoa, dad, what are you doing? That was great. <laughs> I remember being terrified and yet absolutely enamored. And it like that movie also sparked in me a love of like, you know, uh, there was a lot of like Nine Inch Nails, Marilyn Manson, Rob yeah. Zombie on the soundtrack. Yep. That was sick. I mean, you can't do a zombie movie without Rob Zombie, yeah. clearly. And I was, I was into it too because I think the reason I wanted to see it is that I had played the original Resident Evil on the GameCube one, the remaster on the GameCube, but I'd never played the, uh, like the pre that, the PlayStation version. And I, I was like, I was into it. I vaguely remembered the story-ish. The game had scared the shit out of me, but I was like, I really want to see this movie. And I was weirded out that the movie did not line up with the game at all. <laughs> yeah. And yet, Millie Jovovich was in it. They had the monsters. The music was incredible. I was like, yeah, I'm on board. I love it. But it's, it is like... Is it an adaptation? Not really. That that movie was creating I, I, its own setup. I, I think like coming in like having not experienced any of the movies and all the games, um, but knowing like how different they are and mm. just how like kind of batshit they're meant to be or, or like what I've heard they're like. Well, the films went super batshit, yeah. yeah. I'm kind of like, I'm, I, I want to dive in and experience all of that now. Like I want to just binge it and just see what it's like. That's probably the better way to do those movies, honestly. Mm. Like I did that with Saw a while ago. I, did, I just binged all of them in like a week. It, like, it, like when the when the last new one was coming out, I binged all of them and then yeah. saw Spiral, which was oh, that know. seems like a harsh week. Yeah, like, it's <laughs> that was one of those I'd ones. Do some weird stuff for your brain, maybe. It was one of those ones where like I never like watched Saw as a kid because I heard about it as this like gore porn, and I didn't really want to see that. I mean, this is also context. I first time I saw Twenty Eight Days Later was when I was like twelve. <laughs> so that had an impact I'm like yeah. I, don't, I, don't, I don't want like more of that but then when I saw the first two Saw movies they actually weren't like focusing mm. on gore for the sake of gore and they're actually like well written good movies then they got like that down the line and I kind of like knew what I was getting into and it was mm. fine but yeah it was interesting that, that, was, that was a wild week for sure it yeah. is kind of fascinating to do that reverse of like it's so clear that Resident Evil is inspired by zombie. Like it's like, if you hadn't asked I mean, us it, to look at that, I don't think I would have ever watched that movie. Mm. It was not on my radar at all. I, I, I've like heard about zombie, like in passing as kind of like a video nasty era type movie. Oh yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't think I would have gone out of my way to, to watch no, it. Yeah. But now I'm like, you can see the video game, the guys who made it clearly saw zombie and were like, hell yeah, lift that. Right. Well, I, I read an interview that where one of them was saying that they'd seen zombie and they basically were like, they didn't like it and they wanted to do it better. <laughs> um, wasn't, that, was, wasn't that like the, the director of the game? Like I think so. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so they've definitely seen it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I think that like there's, there's much more of a vibe shared in like the original game. Cause like when, when the, Paul W.S. Anderson movie came out. I didn't like it because I was like, I really wanted, yeah, I really wanted the Resident Evil as a movie sort of thing. Um, Which that first, the first game you could adapt pretty much one to one as a movie. That's what I wanted. Yeah, yeah. But we <laughs> no one ever has. You could still do it. I don't know, man. I, the rights would be so tied up in so many different no, things now. Yeah. But I, mean, like, I feel like that's the the new remake. They tried to make it a lot more like well, faithful. The, that one, the Raccoon City one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was but, it good? Or, or like as a Resident Evil fan, did you enjoy it? 
Uh, <laughs> no, because it wasn't it, like either either do it like do it properly like as in like make it slow and about the first game and just like I mean I suppose like the, the game does get into like you know underground bases and all that kind of weird stuff later in the game like it's yeah but it, uh, and I suppose like it's a kind of classic like uncovering a conspiracy I suppose yeah which isn't unheard I mean maybe Resident, the first Resident Evil game was like one of the first games to kind of set that trend. But like that made sense to me. Yeah, and then, then they got real weird with it. Ooh, I, I read a lot of the books, the Resident Evil books, as a kid. I didn't know about books. His books. SD Perry is the author. I'm pretty sure it's in Nom de Plume. That oh man, those books are wackadoodle. Like they obviously were in talks with the guys who were because at this point they started the books when Code Veronica came out. So like that weirdness of the lore was already well and truly on its mm. way. The books just took it and fucking ran with it. You end up with like. Um, there's multiple companies making biological weapons and they're like fighting in a desert base in Nevada. And like, I was like, this is crazy shit. It was like stuff that you couldn't do in the video games because it wouldn't work in a, in a good game way. Like, a, mm. like an engaging way for like a yeah. player playing a protagonist. But as a, as a, uh, an action thriller, young adult novel, oh, chef's kiss. Amazing. Like mm. what a ride. It's airport fiction. It's garbage. You're not going to change your life reading it, but my goodness, it's fun. It's a lot of fun. And I think that's where it kind of shifted is like that first game takes itself very seriously even when it gets weird and they realize somewhere in the second or third game they were like nah ramp up the weirdness let's go to 11 you can't take yourself that seriously anymore maybe there was like a social change happening at the same time because I, I know mean, like a lot of the zombie films started to get a lot more fun at the same time uh, yeah that kind of early 2000s so i think like yeah. Shaun of the dead was 2007 as well so maybe maybe that was the the zombie trend had become but then, so entrenched it became self-referential but then like dawn of the dead wasn't that long like like if um what was 2002 Resident Evil 2 that we talked about? But yeah, Dawn of, Dawn of the Dead being 2004. Yeah. And that was like classic like horror movie, kind of like really riffing on, on like, I suppose, Night of the Living Dead, like same vibe. Well, I think that comes from a place of going... But then like only a couple of years later, you get Zombieland and Shaun of the Dead happening. That's what I'm mm. saying. I think it's all connected because it's, it's... Zombies had been in culture for so long at that point and we'd seen them in a bunch of different ways. And, and you can either go... You can go in either direction. You can either go very, very silly and fun... And that's when you're getting like, zombie land, et cetera. Or you go, what if we took what we were doing in the 70s and 80s, but we used modern CGI and SFX and we really like ramped it up? What could we do with that? You, you, what you don't want to do is try to retread what was already done in the exact same way. You've got to give it that new feeling, new vibe, new take, whatever, that zeitgeisty mm. sort of something. So I think that's why you end up with mm. stuff like, you know, the, the euphemism or the metaphor for capitalism is so much stronger in the movies that were coming out in the 2000s than they are in like the 70s. Maybe, maybe that's why we never get that one-to-one video game movie adaptation. Probably. By the yeah. time they get around to it, the 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 core reason has shifted or the reason people want to do it has shifted. Well, even, I mean, like, yeah, like Dawn of the Dead, the re, you know, the remake was like still, you know, very anti-capitalist, but then the original was, what, 1978? Mm. And that was... Just before, one year before Zombie. Yeah. Well, yeah. So, <laughs> which leads into a fun fact. Um, that zombie, so Dawn of the Dead was the original like Romero one was recut and released in Italy as zombie. Um, Wait, as in, as in like the 78 one or the 68 one? 78. Okay. Um, and they actually, they've got a different soundtrack as well with, it's like this band called Goblin. That's <laughs> really, really good. Nice. Um, and so the uh, Lucio Fulci movie was, Actually, like released as Zombie Two, 
um, because the uh, there's an Italian copyright law thing where basically you don't have to own the copyright for the original to make a sequel. Is that still a thing? My goodness. It can't be anymore. Surely not. First of all, part of my brain just went, oh, that's dangerous. There's a it's, lot of fun things you could do with that. I'd be, I'd be shocked if that was still a thing. Surely yeah. somebody's put the kibosh on that. But I, I, I love the Italians just taking full advantage, though. Oh, yeah. you have to. I mean, there was that. There was a really um, good slash bad, it was terrible, um, Alien 2, um, which was a vast <laughs> difference. Well, this reminds me of Troll 2 now as well. Was Troll 2 different? Well, well like Troll 2, there's, there's no first troll. I think just called Troll Two. It's just called oh, Troll yeah. Two. Have you have you seen it? It's oh. it's it's one of those movies that always comes up when, when people talk about like the best worst movies similar to the room. Yeah, I think I've seen parts of it. Where I think I think it was made similar like two thousand four, two thousand three, maybe. Mm. Uh, like set in like an American town, all American characters and all that stuff. But a lot of writers and cast and director and crew are Italian. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the movie was made, and I think the studio behind it was like, "This is." Awful! This is garbage. We're, uh, there's no for context. There's no trolls in the movies. <laughs> They're goblins. <laughs> but like, I, th- I think they were like, we we can't sell this movie on its own, so we're going to give it a new name, call it Troll Two, to try and like ha- have it semi related to this totally unrelated movie that actually has nothing to do with it, called Troll. Yeah, and, and just and just try and like give it some sort of redeeming factor. It's yeah, the, it's or the quality. most brutal cash in. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it. yeah. Okay, in, in, he, in, you know. Here's the quick premise for Troll 2. <laughs> oh, God. Go for it. So this family get go to a town called Nilbog, which is backwards for <laughs> Goblin. <laughs> <laughs> and in this town, the Goblins are vegetarian and they're kidnapping and uh, getting all the people in town and turning them into vegetables so they can eat them. Wow. And it's, it's got that classic scene of one of the kids in the family like first finds out that like his sister is being eaten as a, as like a vegetable of like green plants and green guru and all this kind of stuff. And he's like, they're eating her. And then they're going to eat me. Oh my God. Yeah, <laughs> and classic. Just, and it's like the, the writing and the acting in every like, uh, like production, like level of quality is so bad. But like it, it, the sum of its parts is just so fucking funny to watch. Yeah. I've definitely seen that scene. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I know that one. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like Zombie has a little bit of that, but but maybe it's because it's something to do with the era, the seventies, eighties kind of vibe of of when these sorts of films were happening. Mm. You know, there's a little bit of overacting. The dialogue feels a little bit stiff at times. Some of that might be a translation thing of like Italian filmmakers. It's sort of the, you know, we, we talk about spaghetti westerns. This is a spaghetti horror, right? Yeah, yeah. And so you're like. Some of that is excusable just by the nature of the beast. And you kind of go, oh, yeah, it's a bit bit janky, a bit rough around the edges, but fair enough. Somehow, though, the end product feels 100% legit. Where you're like, this this was rough around got, the edges and a bit janky. I got to say, it pulls you in. As a whole, zombie kind of like blew me away a bit. Like, yeah. it was the kind of thing of like, you know, acting is not great. The, the, like, you know, it's a product of its time. But then there's, there's this moments in it. That was, I was like, what the fuck? Like the zombie versus shark scene. Yeah. Oh my to, God. <laughs> I was just I, thinking that. that. Like that, that, that was incredible. And like, that's something that could have only been done in the seventies because like that was a real shark. Yeah. yeah. Did you, did you hear the story of what happened there? Oh my God. So I, I was looking it up. Crazy. <laughs> Absolutely insane. <laughs> I found an article about it. So <laughs> this is insane. So um, story goes, 
Lucia Fulci, the director, wasn't keen on having a zombie versus shark scene, but the producer insisted after seeing uh, Tintorera kill a shark a few years earlier, <laughs> which was also one of, like, uh, so this is another, like, um, very specific subgenre of, like, cheap shark sharksploitation movies that popped up after, after Jaws came out. Yeah. Um, so it got to the point where, like, I think they had an, an animal wrangler shark trainer. And oh, no. It's better than that. So, yeah. So I'll um, give you the goss on that. That was the underwater DOP. Yeah. So Ray, Ramon for, Bravo is the zombie. Yeah. And he trained the fucking shark. He's a professional shark trainer mm. and underwater they cinematographer. Fed, they fed the shark prior to shooting. And tranquilized. Yeah, it was it, to be safe. Well, yeah. Yeah. It, it, has it looks super bloated. Like it, <laughs> it looks, it looks pregnant. Yeah. yeah, and then yeah, it, it's it's just a guy. I mean, I mean, you know, stunt performer, shark wrangler, photographer. But like, th- in terms of just filming it, this is just a guy underwater fighting an actual <laughs> shark. Yeah, yeah. This is insane. He, he had done uh, shark training with Jacques Cousteau. Like That's this dude cool. was legit. Get he this. also he also wasn't meant to be the one as the zombie. Yeah, that was, was like a. a because the other guy pulled out from, I think it was ill or something. Yeah, like, it was ill, didn't want to do it. Yeah. Whether he was actually <laughs> sick, who knows? I mean, I wouldn't want to. Like, I wouldn't want to do it. The, that that do. scene, oh, and, right? And, and, and Lucio Fulci refused to shoot the scene. Yeah, he didn't want to do it. It's, yeah. It was done a second unit because yeah. he didn't want to do it. Yeah, that's one of the best scenes in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> it is a very good scene. Like, <laughs> So that I have another little fun story about this. So Oretta, Oretta Gay is the actress who is swimming Almost naked, topless in mm. the scene. Pretty much naked, Pretty like much like naked. as naked as you could get. Scuba at, at the time, that was good. that was they were like, whoa, very very risky, very mm. titillating. My goodness. And to be fair, also unnecessary. Very unnecessary. Like <laughs> oh, I was yeah. like the there, most there, impractical. There's a lot. There's a lot of unnecessary nudity in this movie. Honestly, ridiculous. Like I'm glad it's in there. I mean, that, what an incredible scene. That's also what makes me think of it as like a video nasty movie. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. like schlocky, gory, violent gratuitous nudity for the sake of having nudity. It doesn't actually do anything to serve the plot. Yeah. But they have it in there because like, well, we've got to have tits in this movie. Yeah. You have to at this point. You've got everything else. Yeah. That one, right? So Oretta Gay, she gets the role because she specifically told them that she could swim and had done scuba diving before. Totally untrue. She gets to set. (laughs) No one knows this. I mean, classic. Right? She's in the outfit, topless, the whole bit. She's got the tank on. She's gone in the water. She's drowning. Can't fucking do it, right? Part of it apparently was the tank wasn't properly full, so it was actually weighing her down instead of keeping her buoyant. So a bunch of people had to dive in and rescue her, including one of the actors, who he's done a great interview about this. You can find it on YouTube. He talks about the scene. Ridiculous, right? They finally get her back on the boat. They had to pause for a bit. One of the PAs took her to his house to teach her how to swim in his pool. <laughs> Insane. <laughs> like, what is happening here? But she learned enough. They shot the scene, and it worked. Apparently... The director, Lucio, was so angry that she had done this and she fucked up a scene earlier or something like that. Where, where like, she lied and couldn't actually yeah. swim. Yeah. He was so mad about it that they cut for something and he, he there's a report from one of the other actors that he was he threw himself to the ground and started eating clumps of grass. <laughs> and they were like, what are you doing? He turns around and he's like, Italian accent. He's like, if I do not eat the grass, I will eat you. He was like furious, incensed about it. But they were like, we're halfway through the shoot. She's in the movie. We can't recast her now. Like we're doing it. Teach her to swim, figure it out. It's happening. Also, what a also like that's, thing. it's such, I mean, like not the specifics for scuba diving, but that's such a common story of like people lying to get the oh, role and then I, learning I've on talked the job. About this. I've talked to this with film students all the time, all the time. I love actors to pieces. They're wonderful people. My goodness. They will say yes to anything. 
anything at all. Can you ride a horse? Absolutely. You know how to shoot a bow and arrow? Oh, 100%. Great, great, great. Excellent. As soon as you hang up with them, the first thing they do is call their agent and go, fucking, you need to teach me how to ride a horse next week. We got to go. They were saying, yeah. uh, I've heard this from, it must have been Baz Luhrmann's film, Australia, and it had like every single film horse in the whole country was activated for that film. Oh my God. All at the same time. And it was a problem because one of the actors didn't know how to ride a horse and they couldn't find a fucking horse to teach them how to ride because all of the horses <laughs> were already in training for the movie. Hale- the, the horses were better trained than the actor for that. Incredible. Anyway, that's I just love that like actors will always say yes to stuff and then figure out how to make it work. As a producer, sometimes your job is saving them from that and going... I'm, I'm pretty sure you don't know how to ride a horse. Let's teach you. Let's make that part of the process. I mean, you're going to get the role anyway. I'd rather that you actually know what the fuck you're doing. I mean, you'd hope that they're, they're a good actor if you're going to go to that effort as well. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, like a, a, like a good friend of mine was uh, moved to a, like, a new town and he's a tradie. And um, actually, well, he wasn't but previously, but he had you know, various careers. Um, but he, you know, like his dad, he went to the pub with his dad and his dad's mate was like, you know, having a chat, and they said, "Well, you know, how are you going?" He's, oh, "I'm doing my Renos. I just need to, I need to find someone to laminate my kitchen." And he said, "Oh yeah, that's lucky. My son's just moved in, and he he's a kitchen laminator." <laughs> yeah, cool. All right, I'll see you on Monday. Incredible. And then they just went into the hardware store. I'm like, all right, DIY some stuff, you know, like get some get some beat. YouTube yeah. tattoos. People do it all the time. Yeah. So you know, it's not <laughs> it's not an actor specific thing. I lie all the time. No, no. You just got you just got to commit. Yeah. Fake it till you make it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. That's, how, that's how you get any job. Yeah. Oh, 100%. Yeah. I, I do think that the shark thing is so funny because I get the impression that no one really understood that they were going to use a real shark until yeah. the moment was happening. It's one of those things where, like, I'm like, I mean, like in modern movies, I'm so used to like seeing animals on screen, but either like a puppet or an animatronic or CGI. Mm. Like, it's, it, it feels like a, like a rarity or novelty now to see like a real animal. Mm. Um, I mean, you still get real animals, but like you don't get like an actual fucking shark fighting you someone you underwater. Don't get a guy, yeah, it's just a bloke shoving his hand in there trying to get it to like you know rip off a bit of green blood. Like, well, that's the other thing that the the scene ends, and I'm assuming at this point in the shot, it's a stand-in dummy that's done up. But like the the shark bites off the guy's arm, and there's blood going everywhere. Pretty pretty yeah. sure that was still the real shark, <laughs> and it's a fake arm. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, real, real shark, the and, whole time. and 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 oh, the whole time real whole shark, time. but like, yeah. and so they they would have had like a dummy mannequin body, yeah, 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 yeah. probably <laughs> actual meat in their arm to get the shark to bite it and get the shot. But fuck, yeah, absolutely ridiculous. And I, I was it. I was thinking like, I mean, I've swum with like reef sharks before, and like you know they're you still have a, a, an instinct of like it's a shark, yeah, but they're fine. Their mouths are literally too small to attack you. But this was a tiger shark. This well, thing like, could definitely, yeah. yeah, this shark could like absolutely kill you, yeah. And of course, Resident Evil has a shark scene. That's in true. There is, there's, there's so much. I think, and again, all, unnecessary. Totally unnecessary. <laughs> very weird. I was like, that's animal abuse. That tank is way too small for those sharks. Yeah. And there's more than one shark. I was unclear if they were meant to be great whites because, like, they're pretty big, but not that big. I don't know. But it felt weird that, like, even in the context of, of the universe of Resident Evil, where the Umbrella Corporation or this giant pharmaceutical company doing animal They're testing. They're doing all this bioweapon bio testing. Yeah, I'm like, sure, totally people. makes sense. And right? one of them is like, oh yeah, shark. Yeah, let's, get some, <laughs> let's get some sharks in, in the lab. In the middle of the woods. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. what's a better place to have the shark tank? What the fuck? You just imagine the delivery guy being like, I'm, I don't know if this is the right place. <laughs> Surely not. Yeah, it's someone's got, house. You guys know like, I've got two full-grown sharks <laughs> in this truck. And like, oh yeah, yeah. To the service elevator around the back of the mansion. <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah. I'm just trying to fit it through all the corridors as well. Like oh, just, absurd. Yeah. 
that and the giant spiders. I understand in the context of the game that the spiders were not originally giant. Yeah, yeah. However, once you're in the room with them and you're like, how are these things getting around? Mm. What are they eating? How can they possibly be hanging out in here? Okay, so full disclosure, I didn't finish the game. (laughs) (gasps) Oh man, fuck you. I'm so arachnophobic and I played through that shit knowing it was going to happen. You fuck. You better fucking finish this game and you better experience this spiders. Okay, so this is another thing. You have to share my trauma. I'll, I'll, I'll do it. But I, I tried playing. It was so slow yeah. and the controls were so difficult. I was having a, a rough time of it. So uh, because of the timeline of the podcast, I ended up like watching like all the cinematics and the story recapping and, and got like all the information. I didn't see the spiders though. So tell me like what's the, what's the encounter with the spiders? So the, oh God, what's the in-canon? The in-canon reason, it's all to do with animal testing, right? So yeah. the, the, the Umbrella Corporation's whole raison d'etre is that they are uh, uh, ostensibly a pharmaceutical company. They're actually a biological warfare company. Yeah. So it goes into the sequels. This spoils everything for the future stuff. But the idea is they created this thing called the T-virus. That is the thing that makes so people they're, into they're zombies. basically experimenting the T-virus with spiders as yeah. well. So the spiders cool. part of it was like, I can't remember if it's actually the T-virus or something else. Once you get into the lore, there's like 10 of these things. It's yeah. fucking crazy. The idea is they were experimenting with chemical compounds that would make things significantly more aggressive, more dangerous, bigger, whatever, right? On certain aspects, the idea was if you gave this to, yeah, spiders, and then you dropped those spiders into enemy territory, they would fuck everybody up. What a a Mm. fantastic weapon, right? The downside is you can't control them because now you have an enemy country occupied by giant spiders. (laughs) Probably not ideal. So a lot of the animal enemies, especially in the first game, they're almost like an accidental byproduct or an experiment. So they're dangerous, but they're not they're not as bad as some of the actual monsters that you then fight in later games. Yeah, that makes sense. So you don't come across like, or I think the only one in this one, there's the insect creatures and the tyrant at the very end. Yeah. Mm. I'm pretty sure they're the only ones that are like legitimate bioweapons that are I think, I designed think, for them. I think the dogs at the start are also oh, designed. Yeah, like the can't. dogs technically are an accident also. They, they are the guard dogs of the mansion that have been infected by the T-virus. Okay. That is completely unintentional. And in fact- Oh God, this is so fucking nerdy. You go through and if you read all of the text entries, the logbooks, you can find a whole bunch of these diaries and stuff. You can eventually piece together that someone, and it's all explained in Resident Evil Zero, the prequel, like they've since gone back and fleshed all this out. But in the original, it was unclear how the outbreak started, but somebody accidentally got infected by the T-virus and was subsequently eaten by the dogs. And that infected the dogs. Oh, interesting. The dogs then went out of the mansion and that is why there's been murders in the woods and there's been cannibals happening and the stars have been sent in to find them. It's all because of the dogs not being contained. Everything else was meant to be contained in the mansion and it got out of control. I mean, it probably would have happened eventually. I mean, that's kind of the subtext, yeah. right? The whole zombie thing of like inevitable death. Yeah. When you're playing with these kinds of substances, inevitably, you know, that's the, you shouldn't be making a virus that can turn people into zombies it's in whole, the first place. It's a whole classic man shouldn't play as God. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's hubris. Mm. The guy who does the whole thing Oh my God, I could talk about Resident Evil lore for like 10 hours. (laughs) The short version is the guy who created the Umbrella Corporation is part of a much older conspiracy of people who are leveraging viruses and bacteria to try to live forever. That's kind of the, it's an ultimate power gambit, right? The way to bankroll that though is to sell that power as a weapon. And that's where we get things like the T-virus and the tyrant and blah, 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 blah. So the zombie part in the original game was definitely not that fleshed out. And it was much more about um, the hubris of science and... But we this, still have straight-up zombies. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're straight-up zombies. The idea was that, like, they were made in a lab. That was a much more reasonable explanation than something like voodoo, sure. 
But like that's where that comes from. Well, it's like um, uh, like when we looked at Night, Night of the Living Dead. They don't give an explanation, but they allude to like uh, radiation. Yeah, uh, there's always like, got to be a, 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 a an inciting something or other. Yeah, the, the original zombie thing. If like you read into the lore of like where they come from, the, it, is, uh, it is a voodoo thing. To yeah, I think uh, I remember looking at it in high school. There's, there's like a white zombie, and it goes back to like the 1600s of like voodoo, voodoo and ancient tribes always yeah. having like this idea of like. Um, zombification and mummification like people like yeah. the possibility of people coming back and it has mm. roots in slavery as well there's a whole mm. aspect of the oh, I can never remember the part of the world this relates to it's like Caribbean think like fucking sugar plantation era style Haiti. slavery Haiti, Haiti right it's yeah. Haiti it's that kind of area right Yeah. so it was to do with um, people who were taken as slaves were like broken people right and so it's that like they don't look at you. The eyes are downcast. They look malnourished. A lot of that was like, before it was slavery, it was to do with voodoo tradition. And it was like, I can, you know, the, the local voodoo master can raise the dead or turn people who are alive into zombies and they become like slaves. They do the work without, without needing food. They're dangerous, all that sort of stuff. So then when the sugar plantation era was coming around and you were getting white colonizers coming in and taking slaves that to the people who already had a cultural background of knowing the kind of idea of a voodoo zombie, it made so much sense to them that the white people were turning their people into zombies. Mm. They're, they're literally shuffling around. They're in shackles, but because of that, they're shuffling around. They're moaning a lot. They look like they're not like they look dead. And it's like, yeah, that's, that's a fucking zombie from there. It grows into this idea of like a curse that you can give to people or you can like your enemies can wish it upon you and, Etc. Etc. There was a um, a story that was circulated around the time of like um, the voodoo ritual was basically like using a powder um, that contained, among other things, the bones of like the pufferfish, like the fugu, whatever it is. Oh, okay. Um, and the idea was that someone would slip it into your drink or food or whatever, um, and it would basically make you kind of catatonic um, and lower all your vitals to the point where you were, you know, presumed dead. Um, and this is obviously back, you know, before a lot of medical stuff. Um, and then because it's the tropics, they would bury you pretty, pretty much like the next day, um, if not immediately, um, to stop rot and all that stuff. And then the following night, um, someone would come along and dig you up um, and basically like give you a, a tonic to sort of revive. But the idea was that the brain was already kind of, you know, they're kind of brain dead at that point. Um, so that they were less cognitive and they had oh, less Okay, so, so they're stunted yeah. not because of it as well. Yeah, and they were basically only able to perform what was, you know, like just basic tasks and um, and weren't able to like communicate properly and stuff like that. They were, you know, sort of basically making these people into zombies. Fucking hell. Um, Grim. Yeah, and it's like there's a whole – it's very murky in terms of like where that all comes from and how – you know what parts are true and what parts aren't, but that's the, but like as as the story is told, I suppose like that's yeah. There's yeah. a real drug that does that in uh, it's Colombia. I've read about this. I don't know. Look, I don't know if this is true. This is one of those like I saw it on a podcast and now I'm repeating it in another <laughs> podcast. I don't know. I'm positive that this at least has a basis in fact because journalists have looked into it and like okay, Vice is probably a terrible example, but I know Vice did a whole documentary about this thing. It's, it's like a date rape drug in Colombia and it's super, super scary because it, it's literally like you're saying, it's like it's like a powder that you just get from a local flower. Like it's not a oh, controlled substance. Jesus. Anybody can grab it. And it has the effect of like, it's like it's like Rohypnol. It like knocks you the fully the fuck out. You're fully unconscious, but you're, mm. you're very suggestible. 
So what happens is people will will kind of blow it in your face and then they'll you, they'll say to you, like, take me to your house and you will. And then you let them in and they rob you blind and whatever. And then they just fucking leave. And it's like, you agreed to all that. You were fully able to open the door and do things, but you're not in your mind. You're somewhere else. And that's like, it's a zombie drug. It was like a huge problem. That's, yeah. a, that's a terrifying sounding drug. Yeah, Holy yeah, shit. Yeah. <laughs> it's become a really controlled substance because of that. Apparently it was like a real narco thing of like a lot of the, you know, the Americans would call them like narco terrorists. It was debatable, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, let's not do that in this podcast. <laughs> but certainly there was like people who were military level groups using it uh, as a way of getting through things and around things and stuff like that. Yeah. Real magic powder. Yeah. Mm. Scary shit. Truth serum. So a lot of this, a lot of this fear of the zombie thing is like grounded in reality in one way or another. There's, there's a, there's a part of it that I think people it's unbelievable that people could be undead and eat other people. That's like a clearly fictional whatever. And yet. But there's still, I mean, that kind of similar to when we talked about it in the, in the Night of the Living, Night of the Living Dead episode, there's always that like fascination mm. and that kind of obsession with like the paranormal, the undead, like the other side. Like, mm. can we communicate? Can we like go back and forth? Can we come back from it? It's really yeah. interesting. I think like, because then you've got like Night of the Living Dead, when it gets to like Dawn of the Dead, it's more like uh, consumerism, you know, um, set in the shopping mall kind of thing. Yeah. And then like Day of the Dead, uh, more like a, about like the military industrial complex mm. and, and then as well as like science and, you know, they've all got their little hot topics. Um, <laughs> but then there's also in that, in Day of the Dead, they are teaching one of them, like a zombie to, to talk or to, you know, to communicate and to like train a zombie in a way, um, which is really... Like, yeah, like a really interesting and like a, a really human kind of desire. Um, and it's actually funny because watching my like baby try to eat um, <laughs> and watching that particular scene of Bub the zombie, like I'm gonna have to. I haven't. I haven't seen David that. I'll have to check it out. You'd never if you if you look at the if you see Bub trying to like like the way that he moves his mouth and like tries to like play with or like interact with objects. You'd never look at him and see and think like, oh, he's trying to be a baby. But when you see a baby do it and you're like, it's the same mannerisms, the same movements, the same kind of like conceptual grasping. To the um, point to the point where you think like the actor is like mimicking like, yeah, like baby it's definitely movements. definitely an inspiration for the actor to be like, I'm gonna do baby movements, but not, you know, try to be a baby. <laughs> like I'm not gonna yeah, like make any kind of you know, remove the cute from baby mm, kind of thing. Yeah. Um Especially after watching her eat a strawberry yesterday and like the, <laughs> the red dripping from her face. I was like, wow, that's really, it's really interesting. It's funny how that happens too, where this movie, maybe it's a 70s thing, the, all the SFX blood is like really vibrant red. Like mm, it pops yeah. red. You don't often get that these days. People, are, I think maybe modern films are like, it's either trying to be more realistic with blood spatter, so it's not super, super vibrant red. Or maybe it was just that, like back in the day, that was how fake blood came out, and that's what you used. Yeah, that, that classic like like corn syrup starch yeah. fake blood. Yeah, like it's almost like it's easier to stomach because it's so obviously not real blood. Yeah, like you're like that's oh, like I'm watching something fake, even though it's super gruesome. Well, it's like mm. it's like when you watch any kind of Tarantino movie, and the blood in that is just so ridiculous and over the top. Like you you can't take any of that to be realistic. Well, he's talked about that being intentional because 
it's a the American rating system requires that it cannot look realistic. Yeah. And so he turns it all the way up because mm. that he can get it through an R rating if it's so ridiculously over the top that it's clear it can't be it real. It was like um, uh, in Evil Dead 2, like like all the deadites and all the people like start having different colored blood. You have red and green and black. Mm. And that was also to like not have the R rating yeah. um, classification. Yeah. Yeah. Kill Bill has a couple of black and white scenes for that reason. It's not. Mm. It's an artistic choice, sure, but a lot of it was because it was too much blood. And if you can see the blood in color, it's a different rating. There was a really mm, bad movie called uh, <coughs> Street Trash. Street so, Trash. Yeah. Um, Add it to the list. Add it to the list. Yeah. It's very good. I love it. I mean, it's it's problematic in certain ways. Um, which is always when you're showing your friends and you're like, oh, I forgot this bit. Yeah. You guys yeah. should definitely check this out. It's fantastic. And yeah. then somebody messages you and is like, why did you tell me to watch I've, this? I've, I've definitely heard. I mean, I mean, even like a lot of the shulky, like video nasty or B grade movies from the 70s and 80s, mm. most of the time you can't show that to a lot of your friends. Yeah. yeah. But Street Trash has a, is really uh, memorable for like, it's, it's right in the kind of uh, slime core. Slime um, core. Beautiful. Yeah. That's like a, that kind a, of 80s. Um, yeah, like you know, bodies dissolving kind of thing, um, but not too body horror. More like they dissolve into like you know vibrant blues and pinks hmm. and stuff. And it's like it's it's basically, and it's, the story is very loose. But there is a drink that this guy finds in his cellar. He has a bottle shop, and he starts selling it to a local homeless population oh my for God. like a dollar each, and it makes people melt. Um, Incredible! <laughs> Incredible! There's not much more to it besides it's, it's very. It's, yeah, it I I've just looked looked it up and like I'm, I'm finding the poster and it looks amazing. It's giving me major goosebumps vibes. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm just showing. Oh, I'm yeah. showing CJ and Louis now. Yeah, I'm into it. I'll, yeah. I'll put it on the list. Yeah. The colors are amazing. Like just um, and I think it comes a bit from that. Like let's not make it be too realistic, but also like let's lean into it. And lean into it. it like, yeah. Vibrant as hell. If if you're gonna do it, have fun with it. Yeah, you know. Yeah, if you're gonna do it, like lean in, yeah. like like 120. percent I do think Zombie had that in spades towards the end, where like it starts to get a little silly. Where like, what's his? I can't even remember his fucking name now. But he's like a crack shot with that pistol. Thank God. Thank yeah. God he was yeah. such a good shot. Was there ever an explanation as to why he was like a sportsman level shooter? No, oh, no didn't no, need it. No, no, no. We don't. We don't need logic. He's the context. hero. Of course he could do that. I was like, that's really funny because in theory. He could have saved everybody a lot of trouble earlier in the film if he'd been like, oh, I'll just go shoot a bunch of them. It'll be fine. I mean, there were so many of the characters in the end in that church when they go into the other room. Yeah. Uh, and, 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 and like they, they just die immediately. Yeah, <laughs> yeah definitely a plot death. Like, oh, yeah. Yep, you're out. Like, like, all right, your doctor's gone. You're gone. You're gone. We need, we just need like the main two characters yeah. and that's it. We need this to work with significantly less people on the boat at the end. Mm. I did actually, I do want to say the ending scene it's the very ending, right? It's almost like a sting, but it, it's like the credits are rolling and you're watching all these zombies like crossing a bridge into, into, into I think they're walking into Manhattan. Yeah. yeah. So that, I was, I, I looked into this because I was like, how, how on earth did they get a permit to do this in, in the 70s? Outrageous. They didn't. Mm. They literally just dressed a bunch of people up as fucking zombies and they had a camera guy and they were like, if anyone comes over, speak Italian. None of you speak English. <laughs> just, just roll with it. Just go. Well, that's like that. That's like um, that classic shot scene in Twenty Eight Days Later, mm. where the main character like wakes up and is coming out of the hospital and is on that main street. You see Big Ben. There's, there's trash everywhere and the streets are abandoned. They didn't get a permit to do that. They filmed that illegally. They just blocked off a couple of roads, got the shot as quickly as they could, and fucked off. A lot of that too mm. was very, very careful VFX, where they'd taken. Oh, I, can't, I read this in an interview somewhere. It might have been like Empire Magazine when the sequel came out. And they were doing 
they had over like a over like a two month period they had shot multiple VFX plates and so like if you stitch all of those together they had enough empty space that they could use it as a full VFX plate. Nice. So they had like that's a really we could take a car out of there. We could take a car mm. out of there. It was like nobody was able to get a full twenty minute gap of totally emptiness. You just couldn't on that spot, right? Mm. But it's like if you over a long enough period of time you could end up with a few seconds on that spot, a few seconds there. A good good VFX artist stitches all that together. You've now got a fully empty, incredibly popular part. I think it was like, the. it must be the bridge that leads to their House of Parliament. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, that bridge is never empty, ever. And you, there is no way you could close that off. I mean, that's Nobody why, that's why that. it works so well on a film as yeah. well, right? Like it really just hammers in the, the gravity of the situation. Yeah. There's so many films that I'm like, how do they get that empty? Like, um. Actually, a similar um, Italian unofficial sequel of that I mentioned before, of Alien 2 on Earth, is the <laughs> subtitle for it. Oh, perfect. Um, from, which, 90, from 1980. Uh, is it? Pro- put, yeah, put probably. that on the list. I want to see that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's bad. Um, I'm ready. The, it's uh, the kind of thing, if someone tells me a movie is bad, it makes me more inclined to watch it. It does. <laughs> We're sick people like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. The quick synopsis is, I mean, because we all remember the, the events of Alien, um, well, don't worry about that. Um, <laughs> this is some people in San Francisco. Um, they're spelunkers, obviously. Obviously. Um, oh, nice. Yeah. So, and there's like a quick cut, like a, a like a quick scene of like, oh, there's a, a shuttle is returning to Earth. Um, I guess they're implying that it's from the Alien movie, but like no one that, says but, that. But they're never specifically. Perfect. Yeah. No. Um, and they go. So then they go. Like, cool. Doesn't doesn't bother us, and then they go into a cave where most of the movie is set, and um, <laughs> like, and the alien is this like uh, I guess a slimy thing that like I don't know. It's it's really it's definitely not the same at all. But is it is it close enough? No, <laughs> <laughs> nothing to do with it. It's oh. like this red slimy ball. Perfect. Like it's, perfect. And then, and then when they come out, they're in um, like everyone's disappeared. Um, so they go to a bowling alley, um, and then an alien, the same one, attacks them in the bowling alley, because that's obviously where you go. Um, <laughs> when, when you when, when you you've had this fucked up encounter with this weird creature, yeah. you go outside. There's everyone's gone. All right, time to go bowling. Where is everyone? Probably at the bowling alley. Yeah, yeah. Like, everyone's at the bowling alley. And you know what? If they're not, that means no one's at the bowling alley, which means unlimited bowling. <laughs> yeah, I'm in. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I remember thinking like, this is a very low budget, but like, how did they get the streets empty? Like, they couldn't have they couldn't have cordoned this stuff off. Like, I guess it was probably in San silly. Francisco as well. Depends, it was, depends on when. Like, oh wait, San Diego, San Diego. Yeah. Okay. in the um, in the 80s, like maybe maybe you just guerrilla style it. I've well, I'm if, never going to say this, this in like a legal sense. So like, this is completely made up and not a true story in any way. <laughs> Certainly, I have seen people, even now, put a couple of high-vis vests on, a couple of traffic cones, and oh. just make a movie. Allegedly. Allegedly. One of the easiest ways to basically get things, like get into areas, block things off. If people, if people like look at you and think you're in charge, you're fine. Yeah. Alleged- the, allegedly. The, the, the clipboard privilege. Yeah. Mm. High-vis vest, clipboard, and a stern look, any door will open for you. But really, who uses clipboards anymore? Well, that's that's kind of the trick, though, because yeah. people kind of don't think about it. And if they did, it'd be weird, but mm. they don't. They see the clipboard and they go, only very serious and important people carry clipboards. Yeah. This must be for real, real. They're an inspector of some sort. I didn't say then, anything about then, being an inspector, but the word is in their head. And it's just like the, the confidence that's just right. sells it. That's right. Yeah. yeah. 
Maybe but, um, maybe a, a, a what would you have like an office style laptop is the new clipboard. Yeah, I reckon like an iPad. Yeah, like if you're a, rocking up with a, a fucking Alienware, no good. An iPad in one of those like real like uh, heavy duty cases. Oh, that's it. Know? That's it. It's the iPad, but it's in the the bulky. Yeah, it's gonna be like wearing a suit. But with like the high vis just draped over and oh hat. my god, that's yeah. exactly yeah. it. Businessman, yeah, yeah. now, yeah, you're, yeah. On now site. you're a big executive. Look out! Yeah, yeah. it's all right. The bus is in town, boys. Come yeah. on, yeah. yeah, back to work. Um, yeah, but the other, <laughs> what was I going to talk about? Oh, that's right. So Alien Two was good. Um, I can't think of any other sort of not illegitimate sequels off the top of my is head. It less than legitimate, maybe. Yeah, yeah, less than. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure Ita- Italian I, I, legitimate. I'm sure, like, if you start doing like like a deep dive on on like the different forums and Reddit and and googling things, there's so many that will come out from oh, the seventies yeah. and the eighties. Yeah. Like it, it was a different time. Yeah, we had all the Ozploitation films. It wouldn't shock me to find out there's a bunch of Aussie remakes of stuff that was not supposed to be remade. Probably. I mean, that'd be great. I mean, I mean, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if there's just tons of stuff riffing off Mad Max as well. Like, oh, they'd be, yeah, like, because like Mad Max came out '79, so yeah. like, eight, like '80s for sure. There would have been a lot of like Road Warrior, post-apocalyptic, yeah. like, a, like the end of days type of movies. Think there's an Italian Mad Max too. Oh god! Oh I my so. god! I'm gonna look it up. <laughs> if there isn't, somebody Furious should do giggling. it. I don't know um, how many listeners we have in Italy, but like, look into it, guys. Hmm. Make it happen. The other slime core. <laughs> okay, I've got a Gizmodo yeah. artic- article. The 10 stupidest and most shameless Mad Max ripoffs. Perfect. So we have one called Battle Truck. Ooh, I want to see that. Battle Truck sounds good. Uh, we have 1990 Bronx Warriors. Mm. That um, sounds like it's also a riff on the Warriors. <laughs> yeah. 2019, okay. After the Fall of New York. Uh, Warriors of the Apocalypse. Perfect. Metal Storm, the destruction of Jared Sin. Whoa. <laughs> Steel Dawn, a man called Rag. Right. Steel <laughs> Dawn doesn't sound that bad. <laughs> Wait, okay. yeah. So this one, uh, a man called Rag. This 1984 Italian clone replaced gasoline with uranium, wow. <laughs> which is sort of unremarkable in the world of Mad Max ripoffs. So why is it on here? It was part of Sybil Danning's adventure video. Danning is a fucking legend. She was like the Elvira of the action movie circuit. Wow. Watch her openly admit that a man called Rage is a ripoff. I mean, fair enough. Then yeah. uh, the others on the list is Equalizer 2000, Rats, Night of Terror, oh. and everything else. Somebody, I mean, like, just based on the names alone, is it great? Yeah. What's the one from New York? They're like, very much Escape from New York. That one of. was uh, 2019, after the fall of New York. After the fall of New York. Yeah, yeah. so another Italian Mad Max slash Escape from New York hybrid. Yeah. 2019 at least has the good graces to give us a couple of decades for their world to go to pot. Unfortunately, I'm pretty sure the opening narr- narrator just freestyled a plot on the 1983 flick and the director was too lazy <laughs> count to, to correct him. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. It, we, don't, is, we don't make movies like that anymore. This is Maybe a Gizmodo list article published by... Syriac Lamar in 2015. Lovely. Cool. Um, but yeah, pivoting to the back to Slimecore. <laughs> I love that term. <laughs> yeah, I do too. I, I just I think they they're great movies. Um, the there's a Japanese movie called Sweet Home. Um, <gasps> I know this, and it's a uh, mansion, like a haunted mansion, um, that people. There's a Sweet Home Korean TV series. Oh my god, this yeah, is, there is like a Resident Evil stuff. Yeah, so yeah. that was. So there was also a Famicom game um, that was like top down, um, you know, a lot lower fidelity because it was Famicom, 
Um, they had no choice, yeah. And but it had a very it had a lot of the same like a lot of the same stuff from Resident Evil came from that. Like um, the mansion setting, the like a lot of the traps, and you know, like the, the stuff that you think like, why would the you know the mansion for the pharmaceutical company have to put a gem in the door? Mm. You know that kind of stuff. Like it's weird, weird yeah. choices. Um, so a lot of that came from this, like was ripped from the Sweet Home game, and they were basically going to make another one, but they didn't have the license for it anymore. Um, Wait, hang on. So it, this was a this is Sweet Home was both a movie and a game. Yes, <laughs> nice. pretty, I, I don't know when. I imagine that the movie came first, but it, it sounded the, like the movie. The movie looks like it's from 1989. Yeah, and so see, if the if the I'm assuming the game would have been 90s. Yeah, it must have been. But I mean, Famicom maybe. Sweet Home. We're talking Super Famicom or Famicom? I'm not sure. Sweet, Sweet Home is a role-playing video game developed and published by Capcom in 1989. It's literally Resident Evil. Yeah. Is it the same game director? And the, the movie also no, came out so. in 1989. Yeah, I think they came out at the same time. Yeah, tie-in. Uh, yeah, designer Tomoshi Satomoto, producer Juzi Itami. I don't, I don't know. Look them up. Look them up. Same guys on Resident Evil? Surely. Uh, for the Resident Evil game? Yeah. Uh, let's see. Bear, bear, as bear. soon as you said it, I've, I've seen that game in my head. And I'm like, that's it's Resident Evil. It's a mansion. It's traps and puzzles and shit. It's yeah. an inventory different, management stuff. Yeah. Uh, like. it, lo- it looks like it's different. Resident Evil, the director is uh, Shinji Mikami and producer, first one that comes up is Tokuro Fujiwara. But both Capcom. Interesting. Yep. Yep. The plot so thickens. Yeah. All right. I think there was, uh, so there was like a but lot then, of- But then Resident Evil was 96. So that yeah. was seven years after. Yeah. There was a lot of like, in, uh, not inspiration, but like a lot of direct kind of, we'll use the mansion for this and we'll mm-hmm. do, like we'll use the, uh, like different characters having like a specialty, like, you know, one has a lock pick and stuff like that. Um, so there's like mechanically heaps that comes from that. Okay. Um, visually that like a lot comes from uh, Alone in the Dark. Um because that's where, like, the fixed camera angles and stuff came from, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but, yeah, I guess, like, the... And, and Sweet Home is also a really interesting... I don't know if I'd call it a good movie, but then a lot of these I haven't really... <laughs> yeah, like, um, I, I think, what is I, good? <laughs> it's kind of thing, like, uh, the movies I enjoy the most are either, like, absolute trash or, like, really good. If, if, it's, if it's that, like, perfectly average middle ground, like, nothing of note, really, yeah. those are the ones that are the most disappointing yeah. to me. I think this one there's like a lot of yeah melting bodies and like um, glowing skeletons. See, that'll, see, that'll see that's another you. thing. You don't you, you don't even need any kind of like plot or context to, to to make that make sense. I'm like I'll I'll see a fucking movie where people turn into goo. Sounds go. crazy. Yeah. Let's do it. Yeah, yeah. But it's uh the the sort of uh, supernatural element is I think it's more like uh, ghosts and possession and oh okay you know, cool uh, which makes more sense for like the haunted mansion kind of vibe. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I think like. Yeah, by the time they got to Resident Evil, they were like, "Let's let's take this a different direction," uh, while keeping a lot of the same elements. Um, but yeah, I mean, Capcom did a fantastic job of retroactively making everything make sense. It took them seven or so games to do it, but like the mansion totally fits if you understand the full Resident Evil lore. It's still a stretch. It's still ludicrous. Yeah, yeah. But they did explain. Wait, it. so so Resident Evil Seven is where it ties in? No, I, I well, <laughs> honestly, kind of. Yeah, there's. It's, is that is that the one of the big vampire lady? No, that's eight. That's village. Okay. The uh, oh man, I don't know if you really want to get into it, but the short I version. Mean, fuck it, let's go. All right. So short version of this, I'll try to fucking do this as concisely as possible. Basically. 
you've got this guy, Spencer. It's his mansion. So the mansion in Resident Evil is the Spencer mansion. He's one of the people who were in charge of Umbrella, right? Okay. Him, and I think it's either him or it was like his granddad or something like that, were part of a team that went to South America somewhere or it might have been Africa somewhere. I want to say it's South America because that's a Resident Evil 4 thing. They found uh, a flower that has all these like crazy viral properties and shit like that. I'm not doing this justice, but they figured out they could do some interesting stuff with it. Uh, they were experimenting with it. You end up with, they were using slugs originally as like perfect carriers for this virus thing. Oh. And part of it was that it can grant immortality, right? If you, in brackets, undead, right? Sure. So it's it can make you live forever, but at what cost? And they were determined, we're going to throw money at this thing until we solve the whole needing to be dead thing. We're going to make it into a drug that you can live forever. That's the That was the whole undertone of the entire reason, right? Over the course of the games... They tie back in in different ways. Umbrella's usually always the villain. Sometimes it's a different company that it's an offshoot of Umbrella and it's the same board of directors, but Umbrella is now a good company by Resident Evil 5. Anyway. But it's also like the same network. Same network doing all this, right? Spencer is related to the bloke who is the enemy or the big villain for Code Veronica. And that took a weird turn because it's kind of an offshoot. And you end up with two or three other people and a different family of crazy wealthy people doing crazy psycho shit, right? But then they loop it all back in when revealed in, I want to say it was Resident Evil 6, took a weird turn. And that one's like a full action adventure game. Like it's not a survival horror at all. But it had some really weird plot stuff about like Umbrella now being a Chinese company and like they'd been bankrolling the whole thing as like a government plot or some shit. It gets weird. But they saved it with 7. They brought it back. And 7 has the introduction of the mold and the mold instead of zombies. Anyway, you're, it's set in like, I can't remember. Do we have like like mold zombies? Pretty much. Yeah. Kind of like, like like last of us style. Kind of not, not like fungus type, but like bodies literally made of black mold and they're like seven foot tall and will rip you in half. Oh, and the mold, that's cool. The mold has a consciousness and it may or may not have kind of, it may or may not have fully replaced the living organism of multiple characters and they think that they're human but are in fact mold creatures now. Oh, okay. That, that's cool. That's interesting. Yeah. Right? So e- Ethan is the guy who is the main character in Resident Evil 7. He is rescued at the end of that game by none other than Chris Redfield, the survivor of Resident Evil 1. Oh. Who was also in Resident Evil 5 uh, in Africa. Now, he was working for a different company who were taking on the bioweapons of Umbrella that is a direct relation to Resident Evil 4, in which Leon Kennedy, survivor of Resident Evil 2, is working for the president of America or some shit like that. It's very weird. Mm. The president's daughter is kidnapped, held by some cultists. They're, they have a thing called- We're, Las, get, we're getting a lot of tropes It's getting in. weird. They're mm. using a thing called Las Plagas, the plague. That, it turns out, is a direct result of experimentation done on the original South American flower, which led to an offshoot, which leads to the mold. And it's unclear at this point if the mold or the flower came first, but they're clearly related in some way. The theory is the next Resident Evil will explore that because in Village, it becomes very clear that Ethan is not human. Uh, he, he, you, you will remember Giant Vampire Lady. They really opened the door to supernatural fuckery, right? And it's all related somehow to the mold. So is she a vampire? Is the other guy a werewolf? Who knows? I Maybe love, it's a result of the mold. I love that the, the key underlying factor for all this is the mold. The mold. Basically, Ethan, it's proved when, this is a great moment, huge spoilers for Resident Evil uh, 8, definitely play it. It's fucking amazing. 
Uh, his hand is chopped off by Lady Demiscrew. That's like at the start of the game, isn't it? Uh, close to, yeah. Yeah. His hand is chopped off and he reattaches it. This is, okay. Resident Evil 7, it gets chopped off very early in the game. And he he kind of uh, staple guns it back to his hand or to his wrist. And it's like kind of fucking weird. It looks like it heals, but it doesn't really. It's problematic. In Resident Evil 8, it fully gets chopped off. And there is no problem. He like picks it up and reattaches it later and it's fine. And you're like, that's not a thing that a normal human can do. And they explain that a lot of why he's so resilient in the game is that he's not human anymore. He's probably like 99% mold at that point. (laughs) So he ends up saving the day and winning the game because he's got some weird psychic connection to the mold. There's a question of whether his daughter is actually human or if she is in fact a byproduct of a mold-human hybrid. This is like not at all what I thought Resident Evil had going on on in it. It is insane. If anything, this is is what's making me most interested to check it out and play. You should. You really (laughs) should. It got weird because... So the first one, first Resident Evil... Wait, wait, hang on. Which which Resident Evil did the mold first make an appearance? Number seven. It doesn't show up until number seven. Interesting. And the way they explain it is that the mold was also being experimented on by Umbrella at the same time as the flower. And they were convinced that the two of these things together, it was how they were going to solve immortality. It has to be both. They're related in some way that isn't clear yet, but it's like the idea was... Um, Resident Evil 7 happens because a ship carrying the mold and a, and a being whose name I can't remember, but it's important. It's not Alice. It's something like that. Anyway, she is very clearly a mold creature. She's not human. She's been replaced and is now fully a mold thing, right? That the ship is carrying her and a bunch of other stuff. It ends up getting shipwrecked somehow off the coast of like Louisiana or something. And that is how Resident Evil 7 happens. The Baker family who are like the primary villains for most of the game have nothing to do with Umbrella or any of the evil shit, they just live where the ship fucking crashed, right? Once you get in further into the game, Umbrella has like a secret underground salt mine that they've been using to like store things and experiment. And like the ship was always headed in that direction and blah, 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 blah. And it's like they, the Baker family eventually get paid off by Umbrella and they're they're part of the experiments. Or like the older kid is now working with Umbrella to do these experiments. It's bananas. Honestly, insane. I love it. It is very wackadoodle though. But they made it. They made a lot of it make sense. Resident Evil Zero establishes things like the slugs. They're not really slugs. I think they're leeches. And like that I was, was going to say, like carrying, carrying blood, leeches would make sense. Yeah, the the leeches were the original kind of uh, what do you call it? The the animal zero. They're like the native carrier. Okay. So it doesn't affect them in any real way. But if you get attacked by them, you're fucked. Kind, right? of, kind of like how like mosquitoes would be another easy one. To yeah, do. exactly. Yeah. And so they end up with like, you fight multiple leech creatures. This then, when you get to Resident Evil 7 and you start going, oh, I see. The mold, the leech creatures, there's some sort of like, it is fungal in a way. It's like things infected by this stuff at a base level are connected somehow. They, whether they're communicating or not, unclear. But the leeches certainly act like one mm. hive organism. They form whole bodies and attack you. Like oh, very it's cool. not just one leech you're up against, right? So that turned out to be happening because Spencer had done some crazy bullshit and it was all falling apart. So the, the Umbrella Conspiracy, you know, four days before Resident Evil 1, something went horribly wrong at the actual science lab that's a train right away from where the mansion is. And Spencer had tried to escape fire the train and take his T-virus with him and blah, 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 blah. Chaos ensues. He drops the thing or something. Someone's infected. There's a leech creature. It gets crazy. So what's her name? Rebecca, who's the... You would have met her playing through Resident Evil 1. 
she's the young nurse looking one who's got like the red cross in her hat and shit like that. She's the one that gets the prequel. For yeah. Me? Yeah. So she's, she's alpha team. So yep. she's like when Resident Evil starts, her team are the team that were crashed and your team is looking for Resident Evil zero establishes why we never see her again. She escapes the mansion, ends up on the train and is now on a, a ride to the original factory where all the shit was getting made. She's facing off against all the bioweapons. It's crazy. But it gives you all the backstories to like why the mansion, it's Spencer's mansion. It's his literal family estate. And he's one of the founders of Umbrella. Of course, there's a secret lab underneath. This dude's a loony. He had the mansion built with trap doors and shit in it because he loves that stuff. It leads into why there's a lot of that in Resident Evil 2 in Raccoon City. Because the chief, who of course turns out to be a weird pedo villain guy, he's in on the conspiracy. He's got weird hidden rooms in the police station for the same reason. They're all in on it. And you realize like, okay, they really took the conspiracy thing and fucking ran with it. But they're doing a really good job of like as ridiculous and over the top absurd as this narrative gets. Okay. At one point uh, in Resident Evil 5, Chris Redfield like punches a giant boulder out of the air. Uh. It's fucking absurd. (laughs) How, why, who knows? At at some point, Capcom just went like, this is silly fun and we're just going to do that. And if we can figure out how to make the story make sense, we will. But we're not really hung up on whether it does. I feel like that's a good approach. It, it works because you get to number eight, the village, and you get eight foot tall vampire lady that you want to step on you. Why? What is the logical narrative purpose? Who knows? Have they? Has she lived in that village for like a thousand years? Is she actually a thousand year old vampire? Yeah. By all accounts, that is the plot they went with. Does that make <laughs> sense in the world of Resident Evil? Sure. Fuck it. Why not? Yeah, we'll we'll make it make work. She's part of the original cult who found the original flower who are worshipping immortality or some fuckery like that. It's it's bonkers, but like as you play through it, if you are keeping track of it in your head, it does kind of make sense. And you're like, yeah, all right. It's got that kind of logic of like, I think Resident Evil 4, you know, like at one point you go across the lake and it's like, we've got a lake. It's going to be a massive monster. Of course there is. Like there's going to be a big monster in the lake. Like- that's you know like the, the, they've got that kind of carte blanche to be like well you know what yeah like every big every big lake deserves a big monster we'll we'll make it it'll come together at some point yeah you know, or it won't who knows and they can just retroactively kind of be like we loved that in it so we've decided we've decided that of course the cult in that place mm. for Resident Evil Four I can't remember South America somewhere that cult of course they fed the plague virus to a big fish thing. Of course they did. Yeah. This this Why is o- this is opening up for like cryptids in the yeah. even though we're gonna get Loch Ness Monster. We'll, 100%, we'll, we'll get yeah. the, we'll get um Bigfoot. We'll get all of them. Wouldn't surprise me if the next Resident Evil has Bigfoot in it. Mothman. Wouldn't, wouldn't shock let's, me. Let's go. Yeah, why not? Yeah. There's probably isn't there already a Mothman? Isn't like one of the I think it was like maybe in two or something that there was a man and a moth thing. I mean there's I definitely moth adjacent creatures. Yeah. yeah. I've got some memory of like the art book. Three, three and four, which was... So technically Code Veronica is like number four. So the, the numbering system is flawed if you actually add up which games were released when. So Code Veronica kind of exists in its own universe. If that gets a remake, they're going to have a lot of heavy lifting to do to make that plot make sense with everything else they've done. They might just ignore it and be like, no, 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 we redid two and three. The next one is four. We're redoing that. Ignore Code Veronica. It didn't happen. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, I, would, I wouldn't be surprised. It's fun. I mean, fucking, it makes no sense. I tell, I tell you what, from everything you're telling me, outside of playing Baldur's Gate three and Starfield, I'm gonna try and make time for. Honestly, Evil. you should. <laughs> there are a lot. Like, okay, you talked about the first one. It's quite slow. It's probably I, the slowest of any of them. Yeah, and I, I, I know, like, it's it's not long, like like seven hours maybe to complete. I do want to. Like, oh, you can do it in under five if you know where all the puzzles are. Yeah, I, I, maybe I'll just get a walkthrough and I'll go through it. Um, it, just, it, 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 it was will make so it easier, clumsy. especially if you're playing as Chris. I know the inventory management part of that is fucking infuriating. 
If you already there, there know the answers points, to the puzzles, there, it's super easy. But if you don't, fuck, it's so much backtracking and dicking around. Oh yeah, and I, I was I was picking up stuff as I was getting them, not realizing yeah. I couldn't drop stuff. I'm like, fuck, and, until I finally say through him. But, yeah. but like, oh my god, you you end up with like you have no shotgun ammo, but your inventory is full, and there's shotgun ammo on the ground. You can't pick it up, and you're like, but my shotgun is empty. Surely I could just mm. load the shotgun. No, you have to pick it up in your fucking inventory first, and then combine it. You fool. Of course you yeah. do. It's a big, it's a pain. It's not a it, it's it, it honestly, I, it seems frustrating now with like modern games, which we'll will not do that. But but at the time, like I remember playing the GameCube one and like the imagery, those pre-rendered backgrounds, like incredibly yeah. beautiful game. It still holds up. Mm. And you're like, I get it. The inventory management is part of the gameplay. It's part of the gameplay cycle. That yeah. fear that it puts yeah. in you of like, should I pick this up? That's part of it. And like leaving the safe room and being like, have I got what I need? Uh, yeah. Have I got space? Yeah. Um, like, I mean, that does really tie into like survival horror, right? Yeah. yeah. yeah well, you, I mean, because this is pretty much started survival horror, really. Like, as far as I know, it was, it's arguable. A lot of people say something like Alone in the Dark, mm. but Resident Evil was the first game to explicitly call itself survival horror. Like, yeah. it definitely instigated it as a genre. And the idea of inventory management being one of those core tenets for it, 100%, that was Resident Evil. I think, like, just the, like, making it, Making ammo so scarce and making that like, you know, I remember as a kid being like figuring out that, hey, I can just like push past these zombies. Like I didn't want to. Yeah. I wanted to kill them from a distance, but like I couldn't do that with all of them. So I had to like, you know, yeah, like ration what I was doing and like, you know, that's sort of that to me, that's where the survival part of it comes from. And it feels really like, well, this is, this is like, interesting. Like only actually pick the fight if you have to. Yeah. 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 Like the snake, you can get in and out of that room and never fire a shot. And it, it doesn't always bite you. Like you can get around it. But most people when you're playing, you don't realize that. And so you spend five minutes trying to kill the fucking thing and you well, waste all your ammo and now you're fucked. Well, that's the thing. It's that it's instinct gut reaction, yeah. which works so well in horror as well. Mm. You end up with that in, in Resident Evil 7 does it really well. In the I want to say it's the first like two hours or three hours of that game. There's like no ammo. It gives you like seven bullets at the beginning of the game and there's no ammo pickups for like an hour and a half. I you you have that. to run past almost everything because you just cannot win those fights. I also like that I think at the start of Nemesis and like number three, they basically give you a shitload of ammo. Yeah, yeah. Like you get the, you get your magic box or thing and you open it up and it's like, well, there's heaps here. And then like Nemesis comes along and you like unload. Yeah. And you kill him and you're like, well, that was easy. And then he just gets back up and you're like, oh no. Oh no. <laughs> and it's like oh, inevitability yeah. of death. Oh, yeah. It brings it right back to that core of like, Modern gameplay, like Resident Evil 8, I think they nailed how to capture why survival horror works and the bits that fucking get you, but you get fun gunplay. You get mm. very high high intensity fight scenes. You know, it's not about, they, they don't need you to have those tank controls anymore. We don't need to give you forced perspective. We can scare the shit out of you in other ways, but you still have to deal with inventory management. You still have to solve puzzles while you're being attacked. You still have that fear of like, every time you walk into that room, something might be different. Maybe there's something else in that room now, or you left something in there and you know it's in there. Mm. You're going to have to go back and get around it. Would, that, would, that gets you every time. Would you say when you think about like survival horror as a game genre, like Resident Evil would be like that tent pole, like go to oh, 100%, example 100%, of 100%, yeah. 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 I'd also, I mean, Silent Hill is probably the other one that I'd, I'd go to. Yeah, I haven't played Silent Hill, but because uh, I can know that the remake for Silent Hill 2 is coming out or in development <laughs> and I have the other ones coming out. like... We should do that. We should do an episode. The, the, on that. The, I mean, again, like Japanese horror and that like atmospheric horror, like that seems really cool. I want to dive into that and see, yeah. and see what it's like. 
So they're like survival. I mean, Silent Hill Two was probably my other pick for like a pairing in terms of like, um, you know, not like, not pointing straight at the Silent Hill movie, but yeah. being like, what's the vibe? And like, I think my out of the movies that inspired it that I think really pairs well is Jacob's Ladder. Whoa, deep cut. Um, I, I think a lot of people have seen that. If you like Silent Hill Two. And then watch Jacob's I mean, Ladder. Hey, we'll, you know, like, like, we'll have you on for another episode and we'll do that. I yeah. would never have thought about that pairing until you've said it. And now I'm like, it's perfect. 100%. It's really good. Wow. Like the the whole descent idea yeah. is just like, fuck yeah. yeah. I haven't really seen it well in such a long time. I, I mean, I haven't seen it, period. So like I'm down to, oh, to awesome. dive in blind. Yeah. It's very we'll good. Go, we'll go like, into it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Finally, a movie I can like, it's a good movie. Hey, it's a, yeah, actual, it's a great movie. movie. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, like the as like there's a lot of like you know similar vibes, inspirations and stuff. But I think um, it's even got some of the same like uncanny kind of uh, and they're not like monsters in Jacob's Ladder, but like they're just uh, unsettling people mm, yeah, and okay. movements and stuff. Um, yeah, like it really it really sort of captures that the the horrorness of Silent Hill Two. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, I wrote a lot of essays on Silent Hill 2 at uni. Like, it's wow. it's a it's a classic. Survive. That I mean, that's the guess. The yeah, if you were if you're talking about survival horror as a game genre, it's almost always going to be Silent Hill and Resident Evil are the two that people. I, I go, saw. That's uh, the, uh, I think there was a couple of articles or headlines too about Alan Wake Two coming out. Like, I'm so pumped for like, that. Like yeah. referencing and 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 like um, using Resident Evil as a lot of its inspiration. I'm excited to see if that's true because I need to play the first one. The after first one, I don't know if I would call it survival horror. It's definitely a horror game. Yeah, I mean, after after playing Control, I'll play anything Remedy makes. So I want to go back and play Alan Wake Remastered, and then we'll go into Alan Wake Two. Yeah, mm. maybe find something, a movie or a show that can pair with it for the podcast. We'll find something. Yeah, yeah. I think that could be a lot I think of fun. I'm, I'm definitely apprehensive about Silent Hill Two remake. Why? Because oh, it's like it's gonna be really tough, and I, it's just just such a well loved game mm. by a lot of people who love it for real nerdy reasons. You yeah, know, like yeah, yeah. Um, I mean that makes sense. There's always a lot of like times when something is remade, and people are like, well, it's not holding a candle to like what the original one was doing to begin with. And like every, I mean, the good thing is that like uh, since Silent Hill two, like every Silent Hill, um, well, maybe not every game, but a lot of them use uh, Pyramid Head. Yeah, um, like the movies and stuff, you know, and like it's, it's iconic. So he gets he's in everything. Yeah. He is. He's also he's like in Fortnite. Yeah, but he's <laughs> also a representation of the main character's unconscious desire to harm himself and, like, you know, in his guilt for killing his wife. Yeah, like 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 in Silent Hill too. It's a very specific yeah. he exists, way it's he done. Exists like the character exists inside the main character's head. Like he's not like. There's Physically no, there. Yeah, like, well, I mean, kind of, but not really. I mean, that's like the magic of Silent Hill kind of thing. But sure, like, okay. the idea that anyone else would see Pyramid Head or be like attacked by Pyramid Head or something is like. Doesn't make sense. Doesn't yeah. make sense. You know, like, it's not. But they're going to capitalize off that's it. That's right. But they can. Right. And it's they're going to make a, money. It's a good design. Yeah. yeah. It's a great design. Yeah. I mean, yeah, and the Resident Evil to a buff. certain extent. Like, he's buff, <laughs> dude, you know, and it, like the shirtless designs yeah. of him. Oh. It's it's Resident Evil has that with like the tyrant type thing. Yeah. Where like every Resident Evil game has some kind of tyranty type enemy. You need that big, you know, seven, eight foot tall, you know, sometimes in a trench coat, sometimes not. But they're always like an unstoppable, it's always coming after you. What are you gonna do about it kind of enemy? And like in a way, 
it's similar. It makes so much more sense in Resident Evil 1 than in any of mm. the other games. They, they have to sort of bend the story and the lore to make it make sense for the other games. Resident Evil 1, it's like, yeah, that's they, it? they were building a bioweapon in the basement of the fucking mansion. That's the experimental bioweapon. Yeah. In all the other games, they're like, oh, here's one we finished earlier. Yeah. It wasn't in the first <laughs> game because it was busy. Yeah, yeah. What? Yeah. Is that just to have like that that like big boss fight and Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, okay. I mean, it makes sense. It makes sense. Part of it is also that's the crux of the, the sort of the core premise of inevitability of death being like the main driving force. It's like you've solved all the puzzles. You've made it to the end. You're nearly out of here. You, you cannot just walk away from it. Like death is coming for you. You walked around it and you dodged it all through the game. Now you will have to fight you know, this thing. You know what movie this makes me think of? Puss in Boots, The Last Wish. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, we could do an episode on that. That movie has because that is that about that is about Puss in Boots constantly like yeah. like his his on his ninth life. He's a cat. It's a nine lives clearly, and death is sick of him. Like always cheating death and not and not taking death seriously. So literally coming for him to actually end him. Yeah, and then he's terrified and he doesn't know how to deal with it. It's actually a really fucking good movie. Wow. It's it's for, for, arguably for, the best Shrek sequel there is. For a kids movie, it's like really like grim, yeah. and dark, mm. but still like fun and like over the top. Yeah, yeah, because I didn't really like any of the Shrek sequels. I, I mean, yeah, I, Shrek one and two classics. I think any of the ones after that, I I think I saw three and four mm. like when they came out and didn't like them. I haven't seen any since, but I saw the, the last Puss in Boots because I I heard it was good. You know, the animation is uh, doing something like fresh. Loved it. I would recommend. Yeah. Yeah, good. Yeah, I'll put it on the list. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you watch Alien 2 and there, I'll watch for some There you go. If there's one what a great key cultural exchange we just had, yeah. From the Resident Evil and Zombie pairing podcast is watch Puss in Boots. Watch Puss in Boots. Mm. Honestly, though, I would say if, if people haven't seen Zombie and they're like on the fence because it's, you know, spaghetti horror, it's, it's a bit of, it's, look, it's not a parody of itself. It's taking itself seriously, but it's, it comes from an era when, making serious horror films was not the way we think of it today. I'd recommend people to watch it just for the shark scene. The shark scene the is incredible. The shark scene is great. The shark scene is incredible. Yeah. It's, again, you could not do that today. It's ludicrous that they did it even then, but it fucking works. <laughs> I'm like, it's a good and, scene. And, and also, like, for no real reason in the movie other than, like, you know, the two main characters on the boat with two tourists and they want to stop and take photos underwater. Yeah. You know, it, there's no, like, that. that's it. And they're like, all right, cool. Zombie versus shark. Yeah. Here we go. It really makes you like, you know, when you think of like uh, Batman versus Superman and, you you know, like smashing buildings and all the CGI. I remember sitting down in the cinema being like, I just don't care. Like, like there's no, there's no grounding. There's no, like there could be a speed, you know, like I can't tell what's going on. You know, mm. like it's, it's one of those things that makes me think of actually being like uh, a lot of action movies or like a lot of monster movies being like, are we having the action and the monster fight for the sake of having an action scene? Mm. Or like, does it actually like? Is it relevant in furthering the plot? Like, you, like take Mad Max Fury Road for example. That movie is entirely action, but like the plot is is progressing and stuff is happening uh, in every action scene. But you take the shark scene, or I, I I can't think of another example right now. But like, it's just a fight mm. because we want a cool fight, and then we're going to yeah. move on to the next fight because we want another cool fight. It's so much more like visceral than mm. anything that you could do with like. Millions of dollar budget, like because well, it's an get actual a, yeah. fucking shark. It's that, a guy like, in a he's shark. He's underwater. You're like, it's an that's actual, a guy. It's an actual guy. Yeah. An actual fucking tiger shark. Yeah. You know, he's just holding his breath the whole time. Yeah, you know, like, he's just like, it's crazy. You're yeah. like, that's 
yeah, you. It's like you're saying the, the the Superman thing is interesting to me. I quite liked Batman v Superman for other reasons, but all of those sequences where they're showing like these catastrophic fights, I'm like, dude, the world's ending. Yeah, like the stakes don't matter anymore because it doesn't matter if they win. Four million people just died. It's like you like throw, that's crazy. You throw someone through a building, and like you go like as a as a person watching in the movie, you're like, well, I don't. I've never been thrown through a building. You know, like, especially a high-rise high yeah. building. It's like, you know, it did, and it looks like it didn't hurt him. So I guess that's fine. Like, it's really hard to sort of you, gauge. You, you have to, to go calibrate. with the context they kind of give you, right? Yeah. There could be a lot of movies where, like, I mean, take Marvel movies where, like, everyone's getting beat up and, like, thrown against movies, but there's no blood or anything. And, and like, mm. they look like they might just pass out or it's implied they died. But you never actually get that context. Mm. Versus another movie where, like, someone gets punched in, punched in the back of their head knocks out and actually dies mm. and it has a lot more weight to it. So like if you can't relate to being thrown yeah. through buildings, so you have to go to context that they present you with. But yeah, it's like, yeah, you see someone thrown through, through, through a building. I get no feeling. Whereas like you look at like, I don't know, like American history X or something, you know, the curb stomping scene. Yeah. And it's like, oh and that makes you feel, you know, yeah. before it happens, you see the leg go up and you go, Oh, like, and you don't even need to like see it on screen. It, no. You can just like hear it and hear like oh. the crunches. Do you know what? And, that yeah. eye thing in zombie yeah, that was that for me. I, I couldn't fucking watch it. I had I was like looking away. Oh my hand god, over my wait, eyes. There's so many. There's so many horror movies where like. So this is another thing where like a lot of like over the top violence and gore and stuff is fine, but it's this small like yeah. cut, cutting your th- your thumb in the thing mm-hmm. or like the fingernail going into the eye. That kind Ooh. of stuff is so visceral and so awful. And there's a lot of horror movies that like tease the nail or something in the eye mm. and this one actually just fucking it goes just all, the way all the way in couldn't believe it and, and, and like the camera lingers on it and you can see and you can see like it's a it's a prop fake eye that kind of thing but it's still so it, it triggers that visceral yeah. reaction yeah yeah you feel oh it my deep God. inside there's another um, Lucio Fulci movie called City of the Dead um, which I'm gonna say again it's it's, it's okay <laughs> uh. it's, not, it's, it's not bad it's okay yeah there's a scene I Pretty sure it's this movie. Yeah, yeah. There's a scene where like a guy is uh, the, a guy's found. Oh, this one is older. No, Nineteen sixty. Yeah. Um, there's a guy fooling around with a girl in the back seat of a car and in a parked in a garage. And the girl's dad comes out, sort of thing. Um, and I don't think he's a zombie or anything like that. There's nothing really supernatural. He's just very angry. Um, and they're fighting, and there's like a drill. Like, and for some reason, it's not. Like it's not like a drill press; it's like a drill, but it's sideways, um, and kind of like a lathe almost. Oh. I don't know, it's a strange setup, but it's quite, and it's a long drill bit, and it starts going, you know, and, and it's like, oh, oh. and the and the dad's got this kid on the on the table, and he's like moving the guy, the kid's head towards the drill bit, and it really feels like that setup where it's like on the, you know, like there's like the log saw or something. Yeah. It's like, oh, they're gonna get there, and they're gonna they're gonna be saved at the last minute, you know, like. Because that kind of thing, it's teased so much for people to get saved. You yeah. never actually expect to, to see I, it play out. It's, it plays out. Like it, <laughs> it's like, it's, it's very gratuitous. And like, there's such a long setup that you're like, surely they're going to stop it. You know, like, and then it's just, nope, nope, nope. Oh, oh, all the way through. Well, okay, cool. Like, fuck. Ooh. It's, um, yeah. Just that, like, that, that to me feels like a video nasty type movie as well because it kind of like, it leans in and it does it and it shows it and it's mm. gratuitous in that way. Yeah. It's yeah. exactly the same as the eye thing. Like it's, yeah. It's, yeah. Like um, it's, a, it's a kind of movie where people watch it to see that stuff. 
because they know that that movie will actually deliver on the, on those setups. I think that's partly why stuff like Resident Evil works as a video game too. Like, there's no power fantasy. There's no like you'll you'll get the ammo and you'll save the day. You're the whole game. You're like seconds from death always, mm. and like the use of no checkpoints, the limited ink ribbons to save the game. They're like, if you take a risk, like you would normally in a video game, you're going to go through that door and, and kick ass. If you fuck this up, your last save point was 40 minutes ago. And you're going to have to go back through every fucking one of those door animations. You're going to have to recollect all that bullshit. <laughs> you have a real dilemma where it's like, ah, oh, shit. How, how ballsy am I feeling? Can I pull this off? I mean, that's another, that's another thing that you were saying, like inventory management adding to the survival horror. It's yeah. like managing when you save because you can only save that's when right. you find a typewriter. Yeah, it's such a, that's such a good thing. Like, it's such a good mechanic. I yeah. love it. I, it's like I remember playing playing Dead Space, uh, like when I originally played it, and you can only save it at certain yeah. save points like in the, in the world. Mm. I think it adds to it. It's it great. definitely does. And it's that element of like, in a, in a, in a non-survival horror video game, one would assume you know, more power fantasy, you're easily able to kill the zombies, the checkpoints are there, if you fuck up, you're not going to get punished that hard. They were like, nah, fuck that, fuck that. You, you, we're going all the way with this. If you get eaten, you're going to have to watch yourself get eaten and you're going to have to replay the last however many goddamn hours it was since you saved, you fool. Like, yeah, yeah and, it really and, pulled, and yeah. each next attempt to get past yeah. this, you have to do the other 20 minutes of bullshit mm -hmm. to get there. So you can't like quickly rinse and repeat, work out the solution. <laughs> You've got to like walk each time. Yeah. The, um, like it's interesting because of the, like the different ways you can play through. Cause I'm, I, I definitely, I definitely took a long time yeah. when I was a kid. Like I was terrified. Also, I was only renting it from the video store every other week. Yes. That's how I played on the GameCube. Yeah. It's a different experience. Yeah, it yeah. was good. Um, but I, I definitely played the first half like five or six times. I think I've maybe finished it like once. Yeah. Um, but then like, uh, to you know, prop Silent Hill 2 because I, again, have done a lot of research <laughs> on it. But they have a really good mechanic um, where your ending, the ending you receive depends on how you play the game. Yeah, okay. Um, and if you, so like. like how, many, how many like variations of endings are there? Four. Yeah, nice. Yeah, um, and it's this in terms of like how you play the game. It's not like there are there are never a, a conscious choice, like do you go this way mm. or this way, but like you have a um, like a health system where you know similar to Resident Evil, where like you know you can be on low health, but you may maybe you don't want to heal just yet. Um, you want to get to very low health because you only have one healing thing left. Um, if you stay at low health for a long time you're more likely to get the like the sort of suicidal ending. Oh, really? Um, That's cool. Especially and if you interact with like certain I love I love like hidden mechanics like mm, that yeah. where it's not obvious to the player. When you have a little um you have Maria who follows you around for a little bit and like however if you stay close to her or further away um and even to like how much time you spend reading different journal entries. Um if you read a lot of the ones from like the asylum um then like you're more likely to sort of tend towards the like insanity kind of ending. Um, oh. If you just read them. Yeah. Wow. So That's it's awesome. Just, it's just got a whole bunch of hidden mechanics. So it's like clocking. That's interesting. I know until Dawn did something similar mm. where based on how you react to the certain decisions and, and the sorts of choices that you make change what happens later in the game. Yeah. Like the game kind of learns what sort of player you are and then tries to leverage what scares you even worse. Yeah. This is really good because it kind of works with like, I mean, yeah, again, like none of it is a decision that it asks you to make. Mm. 
Um, and it's <clears throat> you'd never know. And it kind of works off how you control the main character because mm. it ends up it's all about how the main character sort of deals with this ending. Um, so, like, it's less about how you as a player would deal, but, like, how have you made this character manipulate, like, move through this world? How would they... How would they go? Yeah, because you're role-playing this person. So yeah. what did your role-playing lead to? What yeah. does that look like? Because then you can go back and you can role-play as yeah. the more assertive or like, uh, you know, uh, cautious. And like they then get the replayability. There we go. I know, I know Resident Evil has multiple endings, but not to that extent. Yeah. It's like there's 12 possible endings, I think, for the first one. But it's always like this person survives or didn't. This happened or didn't. Yeah. Fought that thing or didn't. It's really, it is very much... I want to say it's like active decision making. Mm. They don't tell you that, but it becomes really obvious where it's like, if you make it back to the room to get the serum for Richard, he lives to then get eaten by a shark later. And if you didn't do that, he's not in that scene. Yeah. Yeah. But it's it's like alternate like scenes, not specific endings. Yeah. The only thing will be like the the game always ends with your character Mm -hmm. on a helicopter flying away. Yeah. What changes is who else is on the helicopter with them and whether the mansion blows up or not. Yeah. Yeah. It reminds me of the other Capcom survival horror game of Dino Crisis. Oh hell yes, Dino, oh. Dino Crisis. Yeah, incredible. Oh my god, oh my god. if you, ha- oh God, I wish that would get a remaster. That deserves like a it's Resident Evil Two style remaster. <clears throat> um, the like, so the original was very uh, survival horror, but this, with dinosaurs. This looks incredible. It's it's, <laughs> it's really good, um, but it has a similar thing at the very end. And I remember because I was I was wrenching it as well, so I was very annoyed. But I got to the very end. Um, and I think you get on a sub to leave or something like in this facility and there's an option to like go back and rescue someone um, and I hit yes and it put me back in the game to go you know across the other side and grab, get someone but I had like no ammo no health <laughs> and I was and I quickly died repeatedly so I was like oh, I just bugger it I'll just get back on the sub but no you can't you can't, yeah. you can't get back. You on. can't. You have yeah. to go this way, and you can, and I just I just kept dying, and I was like, "Great, well, I have to return this tomorrow," and I never finished it. <laughs> Fuck. But I think a lot of people had that experience with that game. Yeah, it wouldn't have changed anything. No. I could have just. <laughs> I didn't care. I just wanted that closure. But one day, when they remaster it, it it's I'll funny actually. Maybe that like multiple ending thing is is part of the trope for survival horror games. For it to be yeah. a true survival horror, it needs to have multiple endings because you, well, multiple you need endings to have consequences can... for the things that you do during the game. Well, I mean, like role-playing games will get that as well, uh, like not just survival horror. So I suppose you're saying it's a key factor for it Yeah, to I'm be... saying like if you if we were to try to build a survival horror game from scratch, oh, okay. one of the you, things you... that would have to be in the cooking pot would be multiple endings. Yeah, cool. That yeah. makes sense. The, You'd the... be like inventory management, definitely. You know, maybe the checkpoint system is is specific save points. Like, I know that's interesting because, like, you wouldn't consider something like Dark Souls a survival horror, right? But it clearly, that bonfire system is very much that save system. So what happens with the survival horror is it's it's not in the individual things. It's all of those things together mm. are what create that type of game. Yeah, that makes sense. Do the, do the later Resident Evil games also have multiple endings? Yeah. Like every, every yeah, one yeah, of them? Yeah, oh, yeah. Okay. Some of them better than others, the implementations are always weird. The best one I've seen has got to be the most recent one. Village has like, there's a fucking epilogue that's different. There's like the way it actually ends can be different depending on how you went about killing everyone. So there's like four enemies that you have to beat in order to beat the game. The order in which you do them is only, is only locked in the first time you play it. 
And it's done in such a way that like the first time you play through the story that results, there is still different endings, but the story that results is like, that is the canon way that that story is supposed to end. Yeah, okay. When you do new game plus and you get to roll with like your full kit and you can just walk through a lot of stuff, you can do it in a different order. And suddenly you can break the story so that it doesn't make sense anymore, but it's a lot of fun. And you end up with like wacky endings that you're like, that is ludicrous. Cool. It's not canon, but it was very entertaining. I, I almost never do new game plus just because of like time commitments and, oh, playing, yeah. and playing other games and stuff. But like that as an element to like break yeah. the story and, and see it in a different way. That's a lot of fun. That, that, I've, I've started doing it because in. of this podcast. I hardly ever went back and did new game pluses, but anything that has one that we've covered, I always do the new game plus version. And it's fascinating how you, your brain remembers puzzles and stuff in a weird way that like that doesn't become a challenge anymore. And the game is different because now I'm either trying to get all the trophies or I'm trying to do stuff in a way that is entertaining for me beyond the gameplay. And you realize that some games do it so much better where it's not just attacked on like, like the last of us is a really good example where like new game plus on that fundamentally changes how that game works because it is only the sort of scary puzzle driven survival game. If you have a limited inventory and you don't have only unlocks and you are really up against it. When you go into New Game Plus, even if you play it on hard difficulty on New Game Plus, if you've kept all the weapon upgrades, you're a fucking beast. You're a machine. And now it's a power fantasy game. And now you're like, I'm going to kill every fucking person in this room and it's going to be fun. Yeah. Totally different experience. I think that's like, I usually <clears throat> I usually do uh, New Game Plus just for like, just for that really. Like I mean, yeah. I, like Devil May Cry, it's probably when I do it most like just getting to the end and being like, cool, I'm going to go back with my, all my upgraded shit and just, just go wild. Just wreck like, yeah. Yeah. And then just play the first couple of levels and they'll be like, cool, that's that's out of my system. And then that's it. Nice. I, w- I will say Resident Evil has, as a franchise, has like learned from the missteps that it makes. So like hot take, but not really. Six is by far the worst game in the series by a huge margin, right? But it's a pretty entertaining action shooter. Like honestly, if you didn't call it Resident Evil 6 and you called it something else and changed a couple of the names, pretty fun little action zombie game. There's like, a lot. There's a lot of movies where you could like make it not associated with an IP, yeah, and it'd be a good movie on its own right. Hundred percent, right? Yeah. If you, I think it's the same thing of like, if if what you're looking for in your game is, you know, air quotes Resident Evil, and you you kind of know what that is. Six is not that at all. Total misstep, right? And I feel like if you were to try to do Code Veronica to a certain extent, but like the reason two and three made for really fun remakes is because of the way that they function. I suspect that if you did that type of remake where you got rid of the doors and you had multiple checkpoints and you did that for Resident Evil 1, it wouldn't be as fun. You, you, you've you missed part of what it was that actually uh, made I mean, it work. I think a lot of what I was frustrated by with the first Resident Evil, like the slow pacing, the camera, the doors, all that kind of stuff, but that is also like part of its identity. Yeah, yeah. it's part of the identity. And it was when it came out, and I say when it came out, so again, the one we played through is a remaster of an older game. Yeah. The older game does not look very good. It's very dated in its graphics, right? It's very like, you know, blocky, polygonal. Came out same year as the first Half-Life. Yeah. Like, you know, a lot of the resources for that went into things that no one had ever done in a console game like this before. You know, the yeah, because they're all like trying new stuff. Like, yeah. like they're not they're not following any point of reference. They're, they're, getting they're weird all, with it. They're all going in blind with yeah. what they're making. So you end up with like to 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 make that function, you're not worried about the graphics. You're not worried about any of that sort of stuff. You're worried about like the gameplay loop, and you're worried about okay, 
is the inventory management like this because we literally don't have space in the game for you to have more items? Maybe. But how can we make that work mm. as a game mechanic that is now going to scare you and make you think about what you're doing? If you try to fix that, again, air quotes, and try to like remaster that and be like, okay, you can have unlimited inventory space because that's a modern thing. And we're going to give you much easier control scheme and you're no longer going to have static camera. A lot of why the game works doesn't work anymore. And you, now you you're need like, the static camera. need the static camera. Mm, you yeah. have to have it. And they're like, okay, we ditched a lot of it for the two and three remaster. But again, they're very different in the way that they play. They were always more action than survival horror. That first one, it's very slow. You are supposed to be playing that, you know, with your with your blanket wrapped around you, and you're terrified, and the lights are off, and you're 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 watching a horror film. You're in it for the scares. You want it to take ten hours, and you have to solve the puzzles, and the whole time you're shitting your pants, and you're like, oh my god, to turn that into a fun action zombie game, totally different experience. Yeah, night and day. And it's like looking at a lot of movies, like a lot of, you know, like you're saying earlier, like there's a lot of older movies that, yeah, like if. Uh, they were slow because that was that was how it was. Yeah, and like and that's um, a, a lot of re- watching old movies. A lot of them are really slow. I mean, like Night of the Living Dead actually surprised me in the fact that like it wasn't actually that slow. The type of pacing is yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was talking about this before we started the podcast. I'm going to plug it because everybody should see this. I recently went and saw Ivan Sen's new film Limbo, and everybody should see this. It's a film that I I I understand how he got it funded and what happened, and it's a whole story that we won't unpack here. But I like. It was so difficult for him to make that film because it's so against what is currently popular. It's black and white. It's long. It's slow. There's no big action sequences. It's a noir in the real sense of like this dude is solving a mystery at the same time you are. The audience is learning things at the same time he is. You have no idea what's going on. And and it's one of those movies like, okay, classic noir, right? It's Chinatown, Jake. That's how it ends. It's got an ending that's deeply unsatisfying and yet is the perfect ending for the movie. It could not have ended any other way than that. And if you go into that kind of movie expecting like a current, you know, multi-million dollar blockbuster where you're going to be thrilled and, you know, titillated and you're going to walk out of it going, wow, what a great experience. No, you're going to walk out of limbo and be going, my God, I have to rethink about some things in my life. Like that's this movie. We don't really do that anymore. And I feel like similar with video games, it's really hard to pitch and get a game up that is like an old school Resident Evil where you're like, this is a 30 hour slog and you're not going to have fun for 90% of it, but you're going to enjoy the experience. That's hard. Yeah. And I think that like Dark Souls is definitely like done. It's done something, Yeah, but it's also like, it's also conflated skill with like just that kind of brutal design. The get um, good scrub thing has become like, a like, problem. Like uh, Dark Souls, like being like the point of the game is that it's hard and it's brutal. Yeah. That you yeah. keep dying. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of, you know, when you're teaching students, like a lot of people are trying to make games that are, you know, you need skill to play. Um, and when they're, when they're making it, they have a vastly different idea of what, (laughs) what that skill level is compared to, you know, me trying to like market. Um, (laughs) but yeah, like it's, it's definitely. I mean, that, 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 uh, context in particular is interesting too, because like, because like those games will be shown at PAX. Yeah. anyone walking by and you kind of want anyone to be able to just like pick it up and play it and see what it's about yeah, so yeah. there is that kind of like skill like wall gap there it makes it a lot harder for someone to actually like see what it is you're making oh yeah it's a constant thing it's it's you know uh platformers where people put the the jump is exactly the distance that the character oh, like can jump pixel perfect yeah yeah 
And you're like, why would you do that? They're like, well, it's great when you land right on the edge. It feels good. It's like, yeah, but if you, if you give me more room, chances are I'll probably like stuff it up somehow and land on the edge perfectly anyway. Yeah. Um, but also that way, if I do make a mistake, there's a chance that I might overshoot and I'll still survive. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely that thing of uh, people think that they can make, you know, Super Meat Boy or something that's yeah. like really, really well polished. Um, and I think Dark Souls as well, like, has so much. Um, there's so many systems that support the difficult combat system, um, and so much like in terms of like telegraphing from enemies, and even just like the level design and stuff. Like, there's there's so much that um, people think of as like, oh, that's brutal, and it's like, yes, but you have to do it right, yeah. you know. And I think that's part of the deal with like survival horror is like, you know, you can make a a game that's, that's like hard to play that's like you know uncomfortable and and is not fun but making that actually an enjoyable experience or something that people want to do it's kind of thing to i suppose like kind of like drip feeding uh like learning the game to get up to the point where it's hard yeah and then like even at the point where it's hard there's so many like like non-obvious mechanics and layers and stuff that are like guiding you and pointing you Mm. uh and, and and be like even if it's lighting to be like, this is somewhere you can go or like, this is a, like you can crouch behind this thing. That's mm. not obvious and, and get an advantage. But like there's, there's always so many different things going on to like help the overall experience be smooth. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting you say about like, you can make a game, which I think Resident Evil, the first one definitely falls into this category of those tank controls, the static camera, all of these things are building an atmosphere and a vibe Mm. And they're they're making you uncomfortable. They're not. It's not a fun way to play. Tank controls are fucking aggravating. The static camera causing that that split second of spinning around in a circle because your character literally changes which direction is forward. God, that's annoying. And yet, I had a blast playing it. That to me is like that's the same core of why good horror works. It makes the audience uncomfortable. You're not having fun sitting with it, and yet when you are finished with it and you get that catharsis, you're like, oh, I, I did enjoy that. I loved that. Yeah, because I think like having that static camera where you can't see what your character can see, um, you know, like that's such a powerful thing that film uses so much, but like... Yeah. It, it makes you feel a lot more like an observer rather mm. than like a player. Yeah. Well, I mean, you are playing it, but like in, in certain moments and scenes... You're, you're, you're never in full control. Yeah. Yeah, I think like the, the, the difficult controls are a byproduct of the static of the static camera, but also like, you know, like they're if you just gave them difficult controls without the all the positives that come from a static camera, then it'd just be a, a dick move. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. It only yeah. works in conjunction with yeah. yeah. It's an excellent point of like it's a game design thing, but it's also like a narrative thing. Mm. We need the player to feel a certain way while they're at certain points in the game. And one of the easiest ways to do it is to control what they can see and what they can interact with. Yeah, stuff like I think one of the ones that got me was walking through a room that you I had already been through multiple times. But this time in my headphones, I'm hearing ravens making noise, and it's like, yeah, the game is warning you. The room is different. Before you can see the things, you can hear them. I don't know what they are. Are they an enemy? Are they going to attack me? Are they flying around? What the fuck is going on? You can walk through that room and they won't attack you at all. They won't touch you. But if you try to shoot them, they will attack you. And you're like, fuck. Now the next time you hear that noise, you're immediately on edge. Your hackles mm. are up because you know that they're scary. So it's like by, by, by leveraging that stuff of going, yeah, it's really difficult in this game to aim upwards and shoot at a specific thing that is moving quickly. So you're better off not doing that. 
but we needed you to we needed to fuck with you so you learn that. Yeah. You had yeah. to learn that. And you have to you have to like think that you can try yeah. that. Yeah. Now now that you know how hard and annoying that was, we're gonna give you multiple events throughout the game where that will happen again. Mm. And you're like, oh god damn it. That I think is like you can make the player uncomfortable and it's not a skill thing. The best players speed running Resident Evil on YouTube or Twitch or whatever are still like the tank controls are still frustrating. They're still on edge. There's never a version of that game where like you are fully in control and you can walk through it. Yeah. You know? Even even the best players are still edge of their seat, like butthole puckered, oh my God. Mm. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> but it's true, like the fact that the speedrunners are still like that, that's a that's a testament to like what they did with yeah. that game. That's honestly a feat in yeah. itself. Yeah. It's funny to watch too because if you you can watch people do the speedruns of like Resident Evil 2 3 remake. Where like you can beat the second one, I think the quickest you can do it is like an hour and forty five minutes. Outrageous, right? But it's like if you know where all the puzzle answers are and you know where all the enemy spawns are, you can just leg it through that whole game and you're done. With the first one, it does lock you into a certain pace. Even the fastest speedrunners, there are fights you have to have, there are rooms you have to go through, there are things that will jump out at you, and sometimes it's luck because of the fucking controls. Sometimes you made it around that corner perfectly. Other times you got grabbed and now your half your health is gone and you're like, God damn it. It shaved five seconds off your time, but it also nearly killed you. And that's going to make the rest of this significantly harder. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely like, um, it's also that thing of like the puzzles are, you know, it's a, a heart shaped hole above the, <laughs> the door handle or something, you know, like, and there's so much that I'll go back and like, go back and I'll, I'll read that prompt like throughout, you know, the, the time that I'm finding that key. Like, go back, what was that one again? All right, cool, that's heart-shaped. You know, try to remember it, like, forget, go back, read it again. Like, there's a thing where, like, yeah, developers will be like, well, I've given all these hints. It's like, yeah, but I missed half of them, and yeah. I need to reread them because my brain doesn't hold much yeah. stuff. Like, well, it, uh, like th- that in particular Resident Evil is, like, that classic, like, if I'm, that, it's the kind of game where I'll play and I'll have, like, an actual notebook. You used to have to. I remember that. Yeah. I remember renting it and I remember having notes of, like, which keys open which doors and yeah. where to get those keys. Yeah, that was a whole Sometimes thing. Sometimes they were just written in the back of the manual in, yeah. the, in the rental one. Because people would fucking add them in there. Yeah. God, I miss the manual. I, I also the, I love yeah. a good manual. I also have a little uh, paperback copy of, like, PlayStation uh, hints and tricks uh, and cheats. yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they used yeah. to do the magazines that had, like, the walkthroughs and all, and, and all, like, yeah. the cheat codes and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's just, like, right. I used to just read it and, like, flick through it and, like, oh, that's something. Yeah. I, had that, I had that with, um, uh, I found my copy of Simpsons in Run the other day from the OG Xbox and I opened it up and, had, and uh, on the manual. And on the back of the manual, I'd written all the cheat codes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, love, I love that I still have that. It's great. Oh, it's so much fun. I also used to have the, uh, the map for, I think it was GTA 3, um, on my, my wall, like, next to my PlayStation. So I could, like, just look over and... You always knew where you yeah. needed to go. Yeah. 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 It's handy. Now, now I just have a second monitor with a wiki. Hey. <laughs> I mean, that's that's the modern version, right? Yeah. Yeah. I do, it's funny you talk about the key thing. I know it might have started earlier, but the one I know for sure is Resident Evil 7. They started on the map labeling which doors are open by which keys for that yeah. exact reason. It was like players would end up grabbing a key that was for a door that they hadn't seen for an hour and a half. And they'd be like, do I need this? I don't know. And they'd put it in the box and forget about it. It's like, no, 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 no. There's a room. If you backtrack 30 minutes, you'll get a cool gun or something. But it's like the players didn't give a shit because they, again, you, the human mind, it's not even an ADHD thing. It's just like a modern, alive person. Mm. You can't hold that much information in your brain while also playing a, a scary, spooky game. You just can't. 
Yeah. They had to give them, like, open the map and it'll have a little symbol that's like, that one was the Ace of Spades key. And you're like, okay, great. I did appreciate too when the map was like, you've got everything in this room, but this other room, there's still some stuff. That was new for the remaster. That was never in the original. That makes sense. Yeah. But that's a mechanic that I appreciated. Yeah. They had a thing about one of the achievements, I think it's like the Platinum Trophy or whatever, is like to complete the game with all items. 100% every room. 100% every room. And it's like, when you account, once you have to account for item management, Jesus, that's a slog. Mm-hmm. Like that's not even like go in and collect everything. That's like, yeah, but you only have six spaces. So you're going to have to walk in there with just your handgun, pick up everything, dump a bunch of stuff or like use health kits that you didn't need to make yeah. space. Yeah. Brutal. The other one, oh, the, actually the other, uh, not Silent Hill, what I'm talking about, survival horror game um, that I remember from PlayStation times was uh, Parasite Eve. <gasps> oh, incredible. And there Bring was, Me the Horizon have a fantastic song about that game too. There's also a book, um, which really? I, I don't think they're related. Uh, I think they are. I think the book was kind of an inspiration for the game, but I don't, I remember reading it and being like, I, know, I don't yeah. remember this. Um, that was a great game. I remember the game, like towards the start of the game, um, the character, like the uh, main character sort of arrives in a little desert town or something. And... Um, and you sort of get out of your car and the, the boot of your car is like the first kind of magic box of the... Oh, yeah. You know, where yeah, you yeah, put yeah. things in and they, they're, they're everywhere sort of thing. Oh, yeah. yeah. The uh, inventory management sort of save room, whatever you want to call it. And um, it had a... I remember when I got my car, like as a kid, in the real world, I was like, I've got to put stuff in the boot. Like it just... It felt... I was like, I've got a magic box now. Finally, like I have boot. inventory that follows me around. Yeah. Like I... <laughs> So it, it must have made an impact on my childhood brain. But does it does it impact the kinds of games you want to make still? Like, do you do you have have those little things that stuck with you when you were younger? Are they finding their way into things that you're trying to make? Yeah, I mean, I think it's when you when you look at a a mechanic that makes you something other than like enjoying, like something mm. other than powerful. You know, like something that's like frustrated or like annoyed or just like curious or like maybe like, you know, when you, you don't know what's around the corner sort of thing, like finding little mechanics that give you an emotion mm. and then being like, I'm just going to make a little thing about that. Like what if we just, you know, put, make a game that's just that and see where that goes. Mm. Um, but yeah, like trying to figure out what's the, what's the emotion behind it and like, what's, what's interesting rather than like, yeah, what's a cool gun that I can shoot some dudes with. It makes a big difference, I think. I find that with like filmmaking, same thing. Mm. A lot of the little bits and pieces from my favorite films growing up find their way into stuff I'm trying to make now. And sometimes it's going, hang on, do I want to do this in this movie because it's fucking cool or because there's an actual narrative, story, emotional audience reason for this to exist? Yeah, I think that's like, if you feel if you feel an emotion during a movie and you're like, <clears throat> you know, this scene made me feel this emotion and then you're kind of like, why and you want to use that chances are you're not going to be making the same scene Mm. but you want to use the same elements you're looking for the same core yeah you want your audience to feel the way you felt because you're being inspired by the emotion rather than like Mm. i just want to make that scene and the main the main pitfall in games especially with student games is like what's the inspiration for your game and if they answer with another video game then it's probably going to be a bad game. Yeah. That, that was that was a thing. That's uh, a really good point you just made. That's fucking that, write that shit down. That's good. <laughs> oh, no, that, that, that was the thing I remember noticing when I was a student. Yeah. It was like 
everyone's uh, references for their game was other games that had already kind of done what they're trying to do, mm-hmm. or or like what or like in their like elevator pitch for the game. Like, what is your game about? Well, this our game is like this other game, but with a with a mechanic that this other other game does mm-hmm. combined. And I'm like. It's, it's frustrating as well because yeah. also if you're trying to like pitch a game like assume I don't know the games assume yeah. I don't know understand the reference material you're going to be like like how do you explain it without any context also reference things that aren't just games yeah, yeah. look at books look at movies look at music like it's just funny? like yeah. vegetables or like I don't yeah. know something like <laughs> yeah. your commute to work this morning or something but and if you are going to like blend mechanics from games like Give me like you know Alien Isolation and Cooking Mama. Yeah, you know yeah. like don't give, give me, me like, g- g- yeah. give, don't give me two, don't, two completely different things. Yeah, don't give me Call of Duty and Battlefield. You yeah, know, like it's don't give me Dark Souls and an RPG. Yeah, oh, it's fine. I've started doing this with film pitches, so I, I've just finished up at a film market here, and I, a couple of the conversations I had, I won't go into too much detail because some of these projects are very much in early development. But one of them, for example, is a creature feature. And part of the pitching process, we often have to give comp films, comparable films or comparison films. Sometimes I call these antecedent films instead. What, is it, what does that mean? Basically just means like that's the inciting spark of something, something. So oh, like an okay. antecedent film is like, this exists because I went and saw that and it sparked something in me that made me go, I want to do something like that. And it, you have to be careful what you do because as you're saying, right, if, if somebody's talking about a creature feature movie and you go, I don't know, like Eight-Legged Freaks, they are now seeing a, a comedy horror about giant spiders in their brain and you will never, ever, ever be able to detach what you are pitching from that visual. Because it's a very specific. Very specific. So you have to be careful with your, your antecedent films or your comp films. You don't want to paint the wrong picture in that person's mind. You need them to understand why those films are comp films. And yeah. that's hard to do if all you're saying is like, it's like that other movie with creature monsters. It's not that I at all. S- I suppose, like, would you, would you try and point out, like, it, it's not like the movie as a whole, but, like, elements of the movie that you're kind of drawing from. Where, Sometimes. Where, whether it's, like, like, a tone or a feeling or an emotion. Usually that's what you go for. It's the tone. So yeah. I, when I pick comp films, I try to pick three, and I try to pick three that are so different, the person looking at it has no choice but to understand that it's tone and not anything mm. else. Yeah. Because it's like, yeah, Call of Duty Battlefield, you're like, same, same fucking thing, right? But if you take Alien Isolation and Cooking Mama, the brain of that person has to do a bit of math and yeah. go- They're making a Venn diagram. How on earth could those two things fit together? Yeah. If you've done the job right and you've picked the two things that work well, the, the Venn diagram in their head is the same one you have. And now mm. you're talking about the same thing, right? You're limiting the amount of overlap. Yeah. So you're like, this is only one thing that's overlapping. Yeah. I had one. It was really funny. I had a conversation about this creature feature movie with a, a distributor. And she, I had Megan uh, as one of the comp films. And she was like, but Megan's not a creature feature. And I was like, I think it is. She's like, but that's like a sci-fi horror. Like she's an AI. And I was like, is she though? She's a small puppet that tries to kill people. For me, that's a creature. Yeah, it could be Chucky. It's Chucky, yeah. right? And it's like, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to paint in their head. Think Chucky, but not Chucky. Think Megan, but not Megan. And it's like, it is a creature that is coming after people and it is not human. If you can grasp that, what you're really doing is suggesting, you know the tone of Megan and how that felt? Mm. That's what we're doing. It's a different monster, but it's that it's that vibe. Yeah. It kind of works sometimes. Other times it just doesn't land. And you're like, either I have to rethink the comp films. And some of that is you going... If they haven't seen the movies that I'm using, doesn't fucking work. Yeah, I can pick the most incredible niche I, films. I, if the person I'm talking to has never seen them, beep. 
it's white noise. They don't know what they don't I, know what I mean, to sell. It, it's interesting too, right? Because like if you if you talk to a lot of people in film, they generally know film. Mm. Same in games. Um, but yeah, I, I I think games is a bit more specific because games are more like uh, involved mm. in what they do, and the, and and like a lot of like I suppose genres or mechanics are like you know this is a. 2D platformer. Mm. That's not something that translates into film, but like people, people who know what what that is understands what that is. Mm. So, yeah, it's also like it's, it's interesting when you know when you're in games, and you know games. It's like you also know that you don't have time to play every game. Mm. Um, and you know, I mean, Boulder's Gate, right? Like, I'm, I'm not going to play Boulder's Gate. I'm I don't playing have that. Time. I'm playing that in my spare time, and, and I'm enjoying it. But like, I'm I'm playing like. I, did, I didn't play any of it yesterday, but I'm playing a couple of hours like in my spare time uh, during the week. But it's going to take me a long time to finish that game. Yeah. And then for con- for subsequent playthroughs as well, which I do want to do, but like it's going to take me so long. And then I also want to play Starfield, uh, doing more games for the podcast. I just started a new a new game in Fallout New Vegas. Like, You fool. Oh, that's going to take up no, so much time. That's a good videos. idea. You should do that. That's a It's a good point. I think film to a certain extent has a similar problem at certainly at a market level, the people that you're talking to. And if any of you are listening, cause I did plug this during the market, don't take this person. I'm not talking about any of you specifically. They often haven't seen all the films I'm trying to reference. Yeah. And it's, there's just not enough time in the day. Yeah. They, yeah. their company specializes in genre. They've seen all the genre films, nothing else. So if I'm like, it's like this Western, they're like, I don't know. We haven't watched a Western in 20 years. And I'm like, well, you should because it's coming back. And it's like a gamble that I'm trying to say, this is going to be a leap of faith for you then if you don't know what I'm referencing, but have faith which, that it's which good. Which probably makes it a harder sell. Much harder sell. If they know what you're, if they know those antecedent films, those comp films, it's easier. If you've picked the right ones, you can fucking shoot yourself in the foot. If, yeah. if you've picked them and they go, oh, like this. And you're like, fuck, not like that. And now that you've said that, that's in your brain forever. I mean, it's I'll a, never get that out of your head. You can't a, unsee that in your mind's eye. It's another weird one because there's never like a right answer. Like I'll, I'll say like, you know, games, pitches should like reference st- stuff outside of games and all this kind of stuff. But like people only know genre films and don't know other stuff and you've got to present it with more context. Yeah. Then you're also take- taking up more time, more more explanation during the pitch. Yeah. Uh, it's and you f- only get 20 minutes. It's fine in that balance. It's going to be different for everyone. So yeah. like, it, yeah, it's yeah. case by case. It's, it re- is case it's, by it's case. really yeah. interesting. And the more niche you get as well, like the less people know. Yeah. It's like, you know, you can talk about, a new Marvel film, for example, and like I probably haven't seen it, but I could tell you what it's oh, I, know, like, like what it's like. Like if I if I was trying to pitch Slimecore, I'd have to like really get into the specific yeah. of like what Slimecore is and why that's a a like a niche subgenre that people like, like a, a certain amount mm. of people know and enjoy. Actually, this is such. I want to bring this up because it's really interesting on this point. I didn't know this until I went to market and tried to pitch a film with this in it. Right. I'm going to assume the three of us at this table know what an incel is. Yeah. yeah. I have to assume most of our listeners between games and film. I could tell you though, like if I was trying to, it, so, so that movie that you have, if I, if I was trying to pitch that to my parents, they wouldn't know the term incel. They would know. And if I, I didn't realize that. If I, if I explain them to enough context, they'd be able to understand, but they wouldn't know it off the bat. But it's hard to do that. I went into the market like a fool. I hadn't looked into this and I had assumed that the word incel, the term, the phrase, what it represents was a universal thing that everybody knew. It was in the news, right? Everybody knows this term. Turns out, totally fucking wrong. It does not travel outside the West Mm. at all. I had distributors from Europe who have never heard the term in their life. No idea what we're talking about. And I had a quick little explanation, blah, blah, blah. And they'd be like, that's really fucking dark. 
And I'm like, yeah, man, it's a huge thing in the West. It's crazy that you don't know this. <laughs> and you kind of have to put it back on them to be like, yeah, I fucked up. I should have figured out a way to explain this better just in case, but I didn't. So now I've had to kind of shock you a bit. And hopefully what I've done is I've put a bit of fear in you, which is great because I'm pitching a horror film. I, you know, if, if the initial pitch is not working, you sort of have to figure mm. out how to bring it back. Yeah. And sometimes it's that. I have one film. It's, it's oh, I can't give you too much detail, but the working title of it is a very Australian reference, incredibly Australian reference, to the point where the first five minutes of almost every pitch is me explaining what that phrase means. Yeah. And then people going, oh, we have that in Europe, but it's called blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, we're not going to call it that because it's very Australian. What I'm explaining is Australian. And they're like, I don't know if that will translate. And I'm like, yes, but that's, that's the point of the movie. You see, it, the name <laughs> will make sense when people have seen the film. Because you give enough context in the movie. Yeah, and yeah. it's like that's a hard sell because they're like, yeah, but if I put it on the poster, no one's going to know. And I'm like, yeah, but you'd put it in the trailer and they would know. Yeah. And it's like, what did people do before zombies was a thing? They had movies called Night of the Living Dead and stuff yeah. like that. I'm, I'm doing the next bit after that. I'm, I'm assuming that if they don't know, they'll fucking Google it. And if they don't do that, they will watch the trailer and go, oh, I get it immediately. But trying to pitch that where like the movie hasn't been shot. There's no, it's not a game. There's no vertical slice. There's a 120 page script that nobody has time to read. Or there's a five page document that I've put together with some mood images and some explanation. Yeah. That's it. That's yeah. the whole, that's all that exists. But then your whole pitch ends up being just talking about the, yeah. the title. And like, you're like, fuck. It's like you go back to the writer and you're like, okay, listen, I love the title. I think it's incredible. You've done an amazing job. It has to change. It's not going to yeah. sell. I can't sell it with that title. It won't work. We'll give it a different title and then later on, you know. Well, that's that's yeah. what you do. You sneak it in. Yeah, you yeah. go like, okay, we're calling it this instead. You know, you're in post-production now. You're doing the sound mix. Have you considered what if we went back to the original title you, and everybody's you, like, oh, yeah. Or you sell like a different hook, but then you actually do it. Like, like Robert Kirkman doing the Walking Dead comics. So it's always yeah. like, yeah, and then there's going to be aliens. That's how like the, the zombie virus came out. And I think the publisher, like, as more issues kept coming out and all the stuff, was like, when are the aliens coming? The are aliens. you hinted to the aliens? And, like, he, he had no intention no of intention. ever putting aliens in it. <laughs> you can definitely do that. I mean, that happens in TV a lot. You pitch a TV show and, like, part of the hook is by episode six, the audience will learn blah and that's going to be crazy. And they're like, hell yeah, in a binge culture, episode six is totally fine for a reveal like that. Let's do it. And then you're halfway through finishing the whole series or, you, you know, you're in production on episode one. We've, we've cut that from the episode six. It doesn't work. We're doing something different. doesn't matter. By that point, the show's commissioned. Everybody's getting paid. Move on, right? But like you almost <laughs> and needed you, and to- And then you hope that season does well enough for a oh, new one. Yeah. yeah. But it's like you, you had to kind of, it's not, it's not, look, I'm not going to say it's lying. I'm going to say it's, it's fibbing a little bit. It's bending the truth. There is definitely a version of that script that has that stuff in episode six, for sure. Definitely. That's not the version we're going to shoot, but it is in the original script. Speaking of that, did anyone see the Resident Evil TV series? Okay, was the this the season? Welcome to Raccoon City I think one? so, yeah. I watched oh, I thought, one I episode. I thought that was a new movie. Is that, a, is that a TV show? This is where it gets weird. There is a TV show, and then there's a there's a movie as well, but I think the movie was just covering the events of the second game. Yeah. And the TV show was, like, different. The TV show was its own thing. Wait, I, I remember I watched one episode so, and was so like, the, not for me. The latest mm. movie is covering the second game. I believe so, yeah. yeah oh, yeah. wow, okay. That was a recent, like, yeah, uh, re- I don't know, reboot, reboot. Re series, sort of different. <laughs> trying yeah. to get it away from the W.S. Anderson one. Right, like, okay. Yeah. It did, I, it did not work for me. No. I watched one episode and was like, nah. It's similar to what you were kind of saying about like, at this point, 
I'm not invested enough in that W.S. Anderson series of films to care about that. And I'm also not invested enough in what they were trying to do with this new adaptation. Mm. I'm like, if you're not going to do what I think the original deserves, then I'm not going to, I don't care. It's not yeah. for me. The, the, the W.S. Anderson ones, like they're definitely like the, like fast and furious kind of vibe. Like just, Oh, they definitely got there towards yeah. the end. Yeah. <laughs> just, and there's a lot, there's so many of them as well that you can just, you could make a, a good event out of watching all of them if you wanted to. Like yeah. it's, and that's kind of part of the appeal. I think it's yeah. like, it's almost like that kind of, 80s 90s like when horror became you know like the franchise to death kind of thing yeah well, um, my favorite i mean i haven't seen all of them in fact i've only seen the first one then the fourth one mm-hmm. but chucky four <laughs> which one's four bride of chucky yeah bride of chucky the, like like i think it was like early 90s mid 90s it's very self-referential and yeah. fourth wall breaking and meta and it's ridiculous um i should watch the other chucky's because i reckon that'd be a fun time but that one in, in particular is insane i love it like, they are good. They um like seed of Chucky is weird. That the the offspring of of Chucky and Bride of Chucky yeah. is like there's, there's some odd stuff there. Um, like it gets real into real into puppet yeah. stuff. But yeah, then, yeah. but like two and two I mean and three I mean, are I mean, more. I mean Bride of Chucky has it too. With, yeah, when they get when they impregnate. Yeah, and have the, and have the sex scene. Yeah, there's yeah. that, which is great. But yeah, I think two and three are more like you know slasher kind of ones. Yeah. Like, um, I think I remember three having something to do with the army. I don't know. It's I vaguely remember that. Yeah. Going back on the um, like explaining context in, yeah. the, in the pitch and why we have awful Resident <laughs> Evil movies. Yeah. I can I, I can totally see and understand being like trying to trying to pitch and get the game to movie adaptation off the ground and trying to like tell the film execs and and, and stakeholders who don't play the games who don't know the games don't understand them what makes them work and why that'll translate well into the movie, but they don't understand that. And they're like, but we can sell this other version of it. I can totally see why like game to movie adaptations for the longest time have had a terrible track record yeah. because yeah. they just don't understand. And they, and they try to go off what they know that they can sell, but it doesn't actually match with what the source material is. Yeah. You're leveraging a brand, but you didn't understand why the brand is valuable. Yeah. Yeah. I think video games have an inherent kind of like action to them that like, trying to sell Resident Evil as a slow-paced horror movie, um, you know, which is what I would love to see at some point. Yeah. But honestly, I should just go back and watch Let's Plays. Like, it's fine. We're getting to the point now, too, where, like, people who are getting involved with publishing and, and um, developing movies and stuff are people who have grown up with games who, and who understand games. So now we're getting a lot more of, like, the more, like, understanding what the source material is and the intention and not necessarily, like, doing the, like one-to-one gameplay mechanic but like the tone and the, and the mood and the atmosphere and, yeah. and the direction of where it's going yeah yeah and i think that's like that's gonna be really good but it's also that issue of i still think there's a lot of uh games are action yes and therefore like trying to get a, a movie adaptation that isn't leaning towards action or, or like games as a power fantasy yeah like that whole tagline of like in the latest spider-man game you really feel like you're spider-man yeah yeah like that's fine, but there's so much more you can do with it. Like, mm. um, and I think yeah, when you've got these games that are not power fantasies, yeah, trying to make a Resident Evil game where, where you, there's no massive scene of you know like just destroying zombies. Imagine, imagine someone trying to do a movie adaptation of like Satisfactory or Factorio. Just mm. <laughs> <laughs> like one of those like yeah. man- management games. That's just like watching those YouTube videos of like satisfying things. Yeah, like. 
yeah. The whole uh, look, hour. there's definitely a version of that in development somewhere for sure. Whether it ever gets made, who knows? But it's that like those things are clearly popular. They're resonating with audiences. Can that be adapted? Is that something that works in another medium? Or as for some things, they just work better in the medium they're in and, yep. and they don't need to be something else. Yeah, I do think that um, the first Resident Evil movie that I saw was really a a lesson in maybe it's just a game. Maybe it's I, just a game. Yeah, I, I, I remember as a kid, I wanted, like I, I remember telling my dad the story, not not in, in as much detail <laughs> as we know now. <clears throat> I didn't know anything about mold back then. Nobody <laughs> did though, that's what I'm saying. Like that, <laughs> we were, that's all bolted on we were, after years of more games. Yeah. Blissfully ignorant of mold. But um, walking to the video store every Tuesday to get another two games out um, and, like, telling him about, you know, like, oh, yeah, so then, you know, I did this in this game and, like, you know, like telling him about the, the zombies and all the stuff in the in the mansion. Um, and, like, I look back and I think that's, that was a really nice thing that he did listening to that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. Like, yeah. And I really wanted a movie that he could watch, that I could just show him and be like, Here's, this is what I'm talking about. This is what I was doing. You know, this is what I've been doing all that time. Yeah, it's like even trying to find like like video recaps of games or like you know here's the yeah. plot of the game and all and like all the main uh, narrative beats in like 20 minutes. But even when you show that, it doesn't like fully encapsulate. Yeah, like what the game is doing, and what it feels like to actually go through. Because it's that. more than that. It's more than just the plot beats. Yeah. 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 Especially when you see the ones that are just. Um, Here's all the cutscenes edited together. Yeah, and it's just that sometimes those are just a wild ride. And it's, it's, sometimes, it, it, I mean, I watched one for Resident Evil, and when it went from like, all right, we're in a mansion, to all of a sudden we're in an under underground water experimental lab with sharks. Yep, and yeah. I'm like, oh, I miss, I missed a connection here. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't worry, it was very tenuous in the game itself. <laughs> the other thing that's probably worth mentioning about the uh, Resident Evil cutscenes is the dialogue was chosen. The dialogue was recorded by English speakers um, and they'd recorded multiple versions of each line and it was chosen by uh, the developers who did not speak English based off which one sounded best. Um, so so that's why yeah. it has such classic dialogue. Um, the jankiness of the dialogue, though, is part of why it's great. It falls straight it. into B-movie. Yeah, like, immediately you're like, zombie, Resident Evil... Very similar writing. That's another. Oh, yeah, I can feel it immediately. Another term that you'd have to explain to film people if you're trying to adapt a janky game into a B grade. Yeah. Movie, right. Yeah. Inherent jankiness is hard. Yeah. But like, but like, like I love the jank. It's what makes it great. It's, it's yes. the best part. Yeah. That's yeah. a that's a it's <laughs> a big thing with teaching as well. It's like embrace the jank. Yeah. Um, you know what's what's good about it and make it make it fun. Like. But I think, yeah, the... How, how would we, uh, for, for listeners who, who may not know what jank or jankiness means, how, how would we, like, explain it? I think, like, ragdoll physics. Like, if you've ever seen a, a, a player or an, an, a, a body in a game um, just absolutely glitch out and, uh, you know, like, those kind of things where the engine is trying to do something um, and maybe it's working against the ways of the director. <laughs> like, it's... Yeah. Um, it's really it's, it's, it's almost like the, the engine is, is like fighting against the direction of the game yeah. in order to, to do something and like things are, are, are breaking but you can still get through it you start to s- you can see the strings yeah you, know? um, you can see the matrix yeah I don't think it's it's just, it's very similar to, to B movies it's like it's the it's the um, yeah like it's the actual it's like it's like the heart of a game yeah like, yeah being able to see the heartbeat behind the scenes 
That's so good. I like the term, yeah, being able to see the strings. That feels very, that's a great way to describe it to somebody who doesn't know what the fuck we're talking about. Mm. People get what that means. It's yeah. like you're seeing behind the curtain enough to get an appreciation for what's going on. Yeah, you're not, it's like this bit is still here, but um, please don't look at it too much. You can, <laughs> you can, see, you can see like the three people yeah, like yeah. Holding, holding up like yeah. the, the barricades and the walls. But, and it's, but your imagination is good enough to just ignore that. Yeah. You've seen or, it and you can like, appreciate like it. Like when, you, when you're watching Doctor Who and it's clearly a guy in a costume. Yeah. But, yeah. but, like, but like it's still great. Yeah. You know, you're not meant to see it that way. Yeah. Like you're meant to be like, you're meant to be in the magic circle. You yeah. know, you're meant to be just like, I'm, I'm here to believe, you know? Yeah. I mean, Resident Evil definitely has a lot of jank to it. I mean, both Resident Evil and Zombie feel like a lot of like jank, be great stuff in the best way. Like, it's it, like if I ever think about what I like or, or like what be great and jank is to me, I love it. So anything like that, it's like it's like a romance. So if, if, if anything's shocky, can't be grade, sign me up. I'm there for the, it. The Zombie one, I think it was really obvious in the first, I don't know, five, ten minutes. Like, interesting note, that very first shot of zombie, that, like, body in a bag rising up and getting shot is also the opening of Resident, Resident Evil. Evil. Yeah, mm. when, when you were talking about the first zombie encounter scene in Resident Evil pulling from zombie, and that came up first thing, that was the one I thought you were talking about, and then it went to the, to the, um, the, one in the, the house. Yeah. yeah. I think there's, there's something about, like, that happens. It's, like, super in shadow. It's, like, real moody, and you're like, ooh, okay. The very next scene is, like, the boat and these like cops are on it and like the ADR is just a bit off and you're like, yeah, okay. The ADR was so weird. <laughs> it was a choice. It was a 1970, late 70s, early 80s choice that like, even if they had had proper, like, you know, I say proper, they probably had good mics, but like they didn't have modern microphones in any sense, right? So you've got two guys are actually on a boat, actually on the harbour. It would have been noisy as shit. It would have been so difficult to get clean audio. So ADR was like, well, we're doing it. And it's stuck for a good, you know, 80% of that movie is ADR. The technology just wasn't there to get it perfect. And so they embraced it being a bit shit. And, and when you do that and you, it's what you're saying, right? Embrace the jank. It's better. If, if they had tried to make that somehow perfect, it would have been awful. <laughs> there's, a, there's a couple of moments in Zombie 2 where like whenever they have like an establishing shot or a transition shot when they're going on to, onto the island and they're like walking through the trees and stuff, there's that tribal like bongo music that's playing. Oh, yeah, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And the entire time I'm like, okay, this is like music that the movie, like like it's um, it's non-diegetic music. Yeah. But then at one point they, they were like, we can hear the bongos in the distance, and I'm like, wait, they're hearing this shit. Yeah, that's yeah. that's in the movie. Yeah, well, that's yeah. meant to be why the like the tribe are meant to be the ones that are bringing them back. Like, yeah, no, like but, it's, yeah. which is kind of hardly explained. It I was, don't really get into it. It was the balance in the weight with all the ADR. Like the, yeah, the music yeah. levels just sounded like it couldn't be in the universe, but then it wasn't meant to be. And like when they acknowledged it, it just threw me for a beat. <laughs> <laughs> Fourth wall break. Yeah, that was great though. Yeah. That that works really well. I think the the soundtrack is a fucking ripper. Like that movie, that like I don't even know what to call it. It was like it's like a proto synthwave electro horror vibe. Yeah, fuck yeah. I loved it. I was like, this is amazing. The credits are rolling, and I was like, hell yeah, what a bop. Yeah, it was toured with like a live soundtrack at one point. Really? Yeah. Oh my fuck. god, that would yeah. have been amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Probably not what they expected would ever happen to it when they were making it. <laughs> But you never do. You never that's do. That's the kind of yeah. legacy that it has, right? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, I think this, this recording has been going for over two hours now. This has been Resident Evil and Zombie. 
Louis, thanks so much for joining us and, and recommending the pairing. Yeah, this has no been worries. great. I reckon we should do Jacob's Ladder and Silent Hill 2 at some Any, point. Anytime. Would you want to do it with the remake that's currently in development? Oof. When that I comes mean, out, dive into it. Yeah, totally. Talk, talk about it in comparison to the original. I think that then, gives it, yeah, one, it'll be easier to, to, to I guess, this is my producer hat going on. The audience will be more interested in a fresh take on something that is recently released. But having the leverage of knowing the original, I think, is going to add another layer to it. I think that's it's a good I, sample. I, 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 the Jacob's Ladder. I mean, Jacob's Ladder is amazing. No, it doesn't need a plug. They're definitely not making any money off that film at this point. But I would love to get more eyeballs on it. So if we did that mm. and everybody who had never heard of that movie suddenly goes and finds it, I think that would be a treat. Yeah, okay. yeah, it's really good. Uh, but yes, definitely. I think I'll have to. I don't think I have any copies of my old uh, university essays on Silent Hill Two. But um, oh my god, if you do find copies, up, I want. I want to read them. Yeah, <laughs> I want to read them in like preparation for the podcast. I look, put it this way: I failed high school English, but for some reason in uni, when I was writing about Silent Hill Two, I was getting eighties and nineties across the board. Like, I, fucking love it. I don't know. I don't know what happened, but. It's the power of video games. Mm-hmm. I learned essay writing in media doing like film analysis, not in like English classes. So yeah, it, yeah it's weird. Moral of the story, English classes at high school, get rid of them. Don't, <laughs> Don't worry about them. it. Who, Don't need them. Them. Who, Who needs, needs them? them? Yeah. All right. Well, awesome. Uh, thanks again, Louis. Uh, Resident Evil and Zombie, I fucking love it. Thanks, everyone. We'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.